Hello there. And welcome to the first episode of Sacred Jedi Texts. Do you do you really have a Star Wars podcast if you don't start it with hello there? I don't think so. I think that's the only it's the only way to start. So uh, thank you guys for joining. Um, my name is Zach Russo, and with me today are my two long-winded friends uh, who talk with me on the internet all the time, Andy and Ted. Welcome, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Glad to be here. Great to see you. Thanks for joining me today. So this podcast series, uh, we are going to focus on reading the Disney era Star Wars novels. Right now, it's a super exciting time for Star Wars fans because we finally have new content in a new era in universe. Um, The High Republic is an era set 200 years or so prior to the events of the Phantom Menace, which as of right now is the earliest or at least as of before the High Republic came out is the earliest chronologically um, time in canon that we've seen. So, uh, again, we're going to be focusing on this series um, as we get this podcast series started. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to get into it. So for those that are unfamiliar, uh, I just want to give a little bit of background to what the kind of extended universe really is of Star Wars. So when, when Disney purchased the Star Wars property, the company reset the canon uh, effective in 2015. So basically, every every source of media um, from Star Wars uh, dating you know back to the 80s and 90s, we used to have like all these books and comics that were just independently released, and those are now considered legends. There are there is new content coming out in all sorts of media um, like novels, uh, movies, TV shows. Um, uh, comic books, graphic novels, even video games. And all of this is connected to the official lore of the Star Wars galaxy. And personally, it's my favorite aspect of Star Wars. It really is what kind of lit the fire um, as a Star Wars fan in me. Um, I love the, the, the gaps that this type of content can fill within the universe that we see in the movies. Um, it's, it's always been, um, a, a, a super interesting to me. Um, so I'm really excited to actually finally be talking about it on the internet. Cause if you don't talk about it on the internet, do you actually like it? Are you actually a fan? I don't think so. You have to have a podcast no. about it. <laughs> so, um, again, thank you guys for, uh, for joining us today. Um, and, uh, let's get into it. Shall we? Ready. Absolutely. All right. So before we get into the actual story discussion and, and disclaimer, this is going to be very plot heavy. Um, so let's up front, let's do a spoiler alert. Um, it's going to be all spoilers. We're really talking through the book. Um, and so I want, you know, if, if, if you guys are interested in reading, please read along with us. Um, I think it's super interesting to kind of hear discussion after you read, uh, a story like this, or in our case, listen to a story like this. Um, but 
I also really want to appeal to folks who want to stay up to date in the canon that don't necessarily have the opportunity to read or want to read um, these these novels and, and stories. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of offer the best of both worlds. But um, I want to ask you guys your first impressions of the High Republic era. Um, you know, I, th I think it's safe to say that we're all interested in what this era has to offer. But how do you feel visiting this untouched terrain in Star Wars? Um, Andy, I'll start with you. At first, when I heard the announcement of the High Republic only being 200 years prior to uh, the Phantom Menace, I was slightly disappointed knowing that it was so close um, and not far enough. In my mind, I was hoping that it would be something closer to the Old Republic, where we were going to finally get that territory, um, because this just seemed too attached to the universe we, we already know. What could happen in this story that makes it, you know, worth my interest when I know that in just 200 years, we've got Yoda still there, Chewbacca, you know, he's going to be born sometime in this time period. You've got Maz Kanata. So these characters that we're already familiar with and we know kind of where their stories end up. So there's like less weight to it. But that being said, after reading book number one, really was the old republic yeah uh, i think most people were hoping and uh, thinking it was going to be more like that but i think the exciting part about this is that it's not that i think a lot of people were hoping that it was going to go in that direction because star wars in the new canon has pulled things here and there from legends and rightfully so and they've done it in a good way and they've reintroduced things like Thrawn to the universe, uh, Boba Fett surviving, things like that. So those things are all well and good, but I was more excited about something brand new. And that's what we get with this. And on top of that, it expands on things that we already know, like the Force, but more along the lines of how people view the Force, how some people use the Force. And then it's interesting to get a picture of the Jedi before the pretty incompetent Jedi that we see in the prequel era uh, that everybody, you know, for the most part, maybe not everybody, but at least I don't like them because you, you find yourself watching those prequel movies questioning pretty much everything they do and how they let all the things that occur happen. And, you know, to, to the credit of uh, the Star Wars team, through these books and through these comics, they've expanded on that stuff and made it feel more realistic and made those eras more enjoyable. But I was excited to just get into something that's brand new, but also just to expand upon different things that you can expand upon with any Star Wars story uh, that, you know, just expand our understanding of things that we already know, but we're not completely familiar with. Yeah, I agree. Um... I, I I definitely thought when this was you know when we we heard about Project Luminous, which was how it was introduced, um, and there was a lot of speculation on what Project Luminous could be, um, you know, and, and as we learned more about it, 
we knew we were going back in time and a lot of people thought we were going back to the old Republic era, um, which I was actually really looking forward to at the time when when that was largely the rhetoric going around that that's where we're going to be visiting within you know this new series of stories. Um, I was really excited about it because it was just it was so far removed from anything we knew about in Star Wars, you know, outside of the in-universe tales about the Old Republic. Um, that said, this uh, this era is extremely interesting after this first story um, by Charles Soule. Um, you know, we're introduced to the High Republic era as um, a, a time largely of, of peace and prosperity in the galaxy. Um, there's, there's little conflict um, throughout the galaxy. We're introduced to a time where we're in the infancy of hyperspace still, you know, the outer rim is still being established. Um, so in, in that kind of, um, you know, gets set up right away. So let's jump into, um, the story discussion a little bit. Um, so the right off, right off the gate, we are introduced to the legacy run. Uh, which is a freighter ship that is taking passengers and cargo to the outer rim through one of the 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 few established hyperlanes out to the outer rim, um, and that's kind of what separates um, that kind of new frontier in the in 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 the galaxy, uh, being the outer rim, is that there's just not a lot of access to it right now, um, and so. Captain Hedda Cassett, I think is how it was um, pronounced, is the captain of the Legacy Run. Um, like I said, she's she's transporting uh, passengers, and we find out also that it's going to be important coming up, uh, liquid Tabana gas, uh, which essentially is explosives <laughs> and uh, she's she they're they're transporting that right along with passengers. So that's kind of interesting. Um but yeah, so that that's that's kind of how it gets set up. Now, once that once we have kind of the the we set up all the you know the the passengers, the tabonic gas, we're going through this hyper lane, one of few. Something happens that shouldn't be able to happen, and that is there's an interference in the hyper lane. Um, an obstacle comes through this hyper lane. And Hedda Cassett has to kind of evade it. She has to maneuver around it. And she actually does. But by doing so, it tears the ship apart. And this is the great disaster that sets off the whole story. And we just jump right into absolute chaos in the galaxy. Right after being introduced to this era of peace and prosperity, we, it just it throws you into a tailspin. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Like, it, I mean, it, it really jumps off right away. Uh, it doesn't give you much time to breathe. Well, the first part of it, like the fact that we get introduced to this captain, um, all we don't really get to know the people who are on the ship is very well, but we're introduced to some minor characters who now you can start thinking about, oh, what their story is going to be like. Um, doesn't matter. At the end of chapter one, 
you were led to believe that probably everyone on this ship is dead. Mm -hmm. uh, got a quick correction, though, Zach. This is not the great disaster. We're not there yet. This is the the trigger to it. The, well, the great right. disaster will come yeah. uh, from the legacy run. Uh, but I thought it was like so and this is going to continue on throughout this book where they do not hesitate to go a very dark route with things that when you think Star Wars, you think, oh, it's happy. It's like, yeah, there's some dark elements to it, but it's most mostly good. There's a lot of good in this, and you you see it right away here in chapter one where, okay, yep, and now let's throw something at our characters that's not good, and it's dark and possibly a lot of death. Yeah, and uh, what a way to start things off, too. Like you said, Andy, introducing characters, uh, making you care about them for a second. It, it felt like Game of Thrones kind of where uh, – you know, you, you get introduced to people and you get a feel for them and then suddenly they're dead. Uh, I will say, though, to, just to add to it right before, uh, you know, Hedekasa is confirmed to die. Uh, but right before that, she is able to activate some of the ray shields to try to save as many people as possible when she realizes that the ship is going to tear itself apart. So unfortunately, though, she dies before knowing whether or not she saved anyone. So that's another little plot thread that'll come up later is who survived, what parts of the ship survived. So now you're left wondering uh, about all of this. So it just gets you right into it right away. And it's super exciting to start off. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a big strength of the book overall, you know, um, one one thing that is is a little confusing, and I, I talked about this on the, on the first read. There are a lot of characters that get introduced, like a lot, and we'll try to touch on most of them. But there's no way that we can remember all of them. Um, some are important and will probably be more important in stories, you know, coming up. Some are not, and really just serve a purpose within this story and head acid is definitely one of those uh purpose serving characters so after we we get introduced to the destroyed legacy run we move over to uh Hetzal, which is the system that really gets is the first system affected by the legacy run disaster um we are transported to this um, uh, monitoring station in Hetzal, where they basically uh, monitor ships coming and going through this hyperspace lane. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this is really like the only um, hyperspace lane going to the system. So it's like they just they see everything coming and going from the system from this one station because it's so limited. They don't. There's really no. I think it's the the main one it's not there are there are multiple hyperspace is explored in this era they have lanes it's just they don't people have not started going out there yet they haven't really explored it they have they have lanes but there's many uncharted lanes that will come into play throughout the story right but um so so anyway, so they, the, the, we have these two characters, and I'm not even going to spend any time on the characters' names because they die um, <laughs> almost immediately. Uh, basically, they, uh, they are the ones that I got Ted still. 
Yeah, we got some interference on the holonet here. Oh, sorry, guys. Can you can you hear me now? Yep, you're back. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, the uh, the these two characters they they die almost immediately, um, and but before they do, they they are the ones that really see the first emergence of the remnants of the legacy run, um, and. <clears throat> we're at least somewhat sure of, of what happened at this point. You know, we're, we know the legacy run fell apart in hyperspace and now we're seeing chunks of the legacy run emerge out of hyperspace and they're emerging out at a super high velocity, um, that can cause some serious damage if they make impact. Um, which hold on yeah this has some greater context this whole part as soon as i first after reading chapter one and then seeing what occurs in the Hetzal system immediately my mind goes to the last jedi yeah. this is that answer in canon that star wars was going to give us this isn't a retcon this isn't correcting any mistakes this is literally the man himself, Pablo Hidalgo, with everyone else in this new story group uh, talking about the High Republic and telling these stories, they're going to give us an answer as to why you don't do the Holdo maneuver. Because you see what happens when spaceships come flying out at hyperspace speeds and cause great destruction. So, like, this is one of those things where it's like, Star Wars fans, if you want to have the answers read these things or listen to the podcasts that are going to talk about these things and don't get upset at something when you feel like, Oh, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. That doesn't get answered. Wait, wait. And I guarantee you will be enlightened. Yeah. I mean, it provides a lot of context for kind of the, the, the mechanics um, of, of, especially in this story of hyperspace, we get into some really cool hyperspace stuff in this book um and we'll talk about uh we'll talk more about it once we get to um i think it's in act two where we we really find out a little bit more about hyperspace um but you're you're absolutely right i mean <clears throat> i know people like to say well i shouldn't have to read the ancillary material to know what's going on in the movies and you don't but if you want to know more about it and you want to maybe get in, dive into some of the technical aspects of what we're seeing in the movies. There's some stuff that can give you some answers. And this is a perfect example of of, uh, of material that can do that for you. Good call out. Yeah. And it, it's actually unfortunate, too, uh, just really quickly, because I never had a problem personally with that whole maneuver in that movie because it seemed like a desperation move. I, I think I talked to Andy about this before where I said, well, why do you think uh, the Japanese military isn't constantly sending kamikazes like they did during uh, Pearl Harbor? It's because it's a total desperation move. It, it's the only reason. And also that there are, you know, I don't know, just, uh, I guess there's uh, manners, so to speak, to war as well, that there are certain things that you generally don't do. And, on top of that, I don't think many people would be volunteering to uh, commit suicide for their cause 
every single time. I, I think they get into their fighters or whatever weapons they're using with the intention of, well, I'm going to help my cause, but I'm also hopefully going to survive here. That was a total desperation move. Uh, and th this adds greater context to it. But personally, I don't think we need this to add to that, but it does add to it. And uh, hopefully it does answer questions for people who were upset about that. Yeah, and we got to earmark this for part three or act three rather yeah. oh definitely too, yeah. it's going to come up again too it's like uh, hold, yeah. hold on to your hats boys there's a lot yeah. more that, <laughs> that comes oh, yeah. with uh, with the hold of stuff um so anyway so let's let's move along through this uh this plot a little bit so basically these these uh these two um station monitors um they see these emergencies coming on their screens and uh, they realize what's going on. They're like, they're, they're not exactly sure what's going on, but they know that they're in trouble. Um, and so they set off a system wide alert just before they get impaled by one of the chunks and they just get obliterated. Um, so the system wide alert goes off and now Hetzal has to figure out how they're going to deal with the threat of this barrage of chunks of debris that have uh, started emerging from hyperspace. And, and keep in mind, they still don't know exactly what they are. Um, to them, they, they don't know if it's a threat uh, you know, from an enemy. They don't know if... Um, you know, if, if they're... They have no idea what, what it is. So, um, the, basically, the, the, the minister of Hetzal um, appoints... Uh, this Kevin Tar um, to help with like the technical stuff. Um, he's a nerd. He's a he's a nerd. He's a, yeah. He's a, he's a slicer um, without a whole lot of clout yet. Um, he's he's like a farm boy. Uh, I think I'm uh, lagging here again, but uh, you should be able to hear me still. So I'll just keep on mm -hmm. talking. Um, and. Uh, they uh, we also find out you know consequently because this is a time of peace and i just found this really interesting because this is a time of peace the defense budgets on this system in particular and i'm sure in other systems around the galaxy have been slashed and allocated for other things in the system and so they don't really have a way to in, to try to uh, deal with this and, and get folks out of there. And Kevin Tarr is able to uh, put out a call, uh, a distress call within the system. And our, our new hero, Avar Chris, answers the call. Jedi Master Avar Chris. Jedi Master Avar Chris, who I like a lot. Avar Chris is Heck really yeah. cool. Yeah, she's very interesting, and we'll get into that later. I'm excited, too. Yeah, so Avar Chris um, arrives in the system with, um, a, a, I guess, like a Republic fleet, you know, including Jedi and other Republic people. Um, and uh, Master Loden Greystorm and his Padawan Bell... Uh, they go to the surface to help evacuate. So we have kind of two teams. One goes to the surface. One uh, one stays in space to deal with these emergencies and, and try to kind of redirect them. 
uh, away from the system. Because again, if they get impacted by one of these anomalies, they're toast. Yeah. Well, I think uh, weren't a Great Storm and his Padawan um, like in the area or something like that? Like, I think a lot of people were in the area because of the opening of the new Starlight Beacon, which we didn't even really touch on. That's uh, that, true. That's, yeah. That's going to be this kind of outreach program that's a symbol of uh, the peace and prosperity that is uh, being seen across the Republic. And it's an outreach program to uh, reach out to the Outer Rim planets and include them more and more into the Republic. Because as much as the Republic is seeing peace right now, the Republic is relatively small at this point, too. And that, that goes back to, like, unmapped hyperspace lanes, things like that. So it's really there to allow for more outreach programs so they can include them in the Republic as a whole. Yeah, great call out. We didn't even talk about Starlight Beacon. That's like the one of the one of the driving factors of this <laughs> entire story. Um, so thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Starlight Beacon yeah. is is. Um, like you said, Ted, like this this uh, space station that will house Jedi and other Republic um, and just basically give the Outer Rim um, access to the Republic um, and kind of spread the influence of the Republic uh, to those folks. Those. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We have no uh, idea what you said, Zach. You were gone for like, <laughs> like several seconds. Oh man, I'm sorry, guys. I got I got too much going on over here in my in my system. It's it's bogging down. There's there's not much to add to what Ted said. So let's move on after Starlight Beacon. <laughs> maybe maybe it got on the stream and just not on the Discord. I don't know. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if if Loden Gray Storm was part of the team that went with Avar Chris, or if he were, or they were already there. Um, but I think you might be thinking of when they actually go to the other system to, uh, or where they're when they're in the other system to rescue the 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 family, which we'll get into because they were no, because there was something here with like yeah, people. Ted's right that people were like in the area because of Starlight Beacon, and that's it, why like they were the first. Like, had they not been there, more people would have died because they were able to like get there quickly. Well, right. I mean, and yeah. that's they're they're yeah, they were all there. Like the um, so the the Jedi that we see are um, Avar Chris, um, Tayami, Mikkel Sutmani. Nib, Asek, and Buriaga, the Wookiee. Um, like those are like the I think the, the the four main ones that we see that are in the on the space team. And then Loden, Graystorm, and Bell go to the surface. And then uh, the other on the on the space team we have the Republic Longbeam, which is piloted by um, by uh, notorious Bears fan uh, Joss and his wife uh, Pika. I think her name was. And yeah, it, Pika. <laughs> and uh, Joss. Uh, all right, we didn't talk about Mark Thompson, so we'll save we'll save our Mark Thompson talk to the end. Um, but it, for for those who are lost, when I say Chicago Bears fan, Mark Thompson does a phenomenal job at voicing every single character in this book. And again, there are many. 
And so I feel like Joss just kind of got the, the 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 short straw and is is eating Polish sausage on his Republic long beam. Uh, got like his so list funny. of like 40 probably character voices that he's got like down pat that he doesn't yeah. have to do any. And there are literally like 42 characters in this. So you knew someone was getting the short straw <laughs> and it's exactly. like Chicago Bears fan. That's like the bottom one on his voices that he can do. <laughs> I, I bet if you so asked funny. Mark Thompson, that's probably like one of the first voices he ever perfected. And he's like, well, I've got nothing else. Let's just use this one. <laughs> Throw it in there. <laughs> oh, Mark you know, Thompson it's an appropriate choice, I think, too. Uh, just the way uh, Joss kind of speaks too, uh, not just with the voice added to it, but uh, he seems kind of just like a rough and tumble regular guy. So it works. It definitely fit the character. For sure, yeah, for sure. I I really like uh, the the Joss and Pika duo. I think they were they're 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 really fun. So, so they the the space team uh, has to basically they they have to try and destroy at least that's their initial plan destroy this chunk of debris before it impacts the fruited moon of the Hetzal system. Hetzal has uh, Hetzal Prime. In two moons, in two inhabited moons, the fruited moon and the rooted moon. Um, and one of these um, anomalies is headed straight for the fruited moon. Um, and, and, they, is, and they're a farming planet. Like, that's right. what they do in the system. Like resource gathering folks. Yeah. Yep. And but can uh, we talk about. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, just in this moment, like we're getting introduced to a couple cool things. The the vectors, which are the the yeah. X wings of the High Republic, speak um, on it. And sis. the what what is the uh, the other ship called? Um, uh, the long beams. The long beams. Yeah, which is just like the uh, what's it called? I'm blanking on. Um, what's Leia's ship? Uh, Tanta V four. Yeah, it's the kind of like the Tanta V four. Yeah, yeah uh, essentially of like the era. So like. I, this is something that, again, how do you do this? You're going back in time, so how do you introduce like new things to it, which was my, my concern with being so close. But I kind of like this, because these ships are pretty cool. So with the vectors, um, the vectors they're controlled by the lightsaber. Yeah. So like a Jedi has to be the first, is really the only one that can pilot this. So you're not getting you know Wedge Antilles into this type of X-Wing. Um, you can really only be a Jedi to control it. And then like the just how we're going to see later on um, these ships, because they're controlled by the Jedi and the tactics that they're able to use because they can communicate with the force to one another. It's it's like something that was like, wow, that's actually really cool that we have this in here. And I can see it as being totally different than what happens later on. Kind of Ted's point, what he brought up at the beginning of this, like we know what the Jedi are like. They kind of suck at the Phantom Menace. So like now we're seeing Jedi kick ass and fly these super cool planes that like they need the force to like really be able to control. Well, and like yeah. they work and together too, mm -hmm. which is the really cool description of how they fly. They almost, they almost fly like a flock of birds. Like every move yeah. is so in sync. And I love the way they described how they fly together in this. Yeah. To steal a quote from uh, mighty ducks, ducks fly together. Um, <laughs> 
So, but yeah, the, these vectors are so cool. Just to keep talking about that really quick, uh, they use the lightsaber as a key, which is really cool. Yeah. And on top of that, th they power the weapon systems. So the laser cannons are powered by presumably the kyber crystal in the lightsaber. And it also seems like, uh, and sometimes it's hard to tell when you're listening to an audio book because it's just kind of going at a certain pace, uh, a lot of the details, but it seemed to me like they are mostly controlled using the force as well. So rather than being powered, I, I'm sure they're powered in some way. They can't be completely controlled by the force, but it seems like all of the maneuvers that they pull off, like you said, Andy, are like almost exclusively controlled by the force. And we see that a little later on too, with uh, kind of like a, a vector drone at one point a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I was just gonna say, hold, hold on to that thought because, yeah, <laughs> this one of them is kind of controlled directly by the force, which is kind of a neat. Absolutely. Um, is it in this part that they tell us though the mechanics of like the fact that they do have like physical buttons or like mechanical levers and whatnot, or is that later on? I think that's later on when um, uh, when we're getting Skier? to that. Okay, yeah. I think it's yeah, I think it's in like Act Three when Skier. Which is skier. skier with like three S's in his name. I, <laughs> yeah. I saw his name written out the other day. Um, so, yeah. All right. So let, let's let's move through um, this part. All right. So it, it's it's a little slow up to this point. Like we start out with a bang and then we just kind of jump you know, back and forth between, you know, a couple of different storylines. And, and basically we're counting down to the impact of when this is going to hit. Um, and that's a, the, a huge strength of this part, too. Like, we didn't talk about that, but every like chapter, it's like a countdown. So it's like uh, it starts at 80 minutes to impact, 70 minutes to impact, 60 yeah. minutes to impact. So it's like it's leading up to something. It's building on this tension. And meanwhile, there's all this chaos happening in the Hetzal system. So like you're, we're we're getting to a point where it's like, oh, what is what is going to be this thing? What is going to be this thing that's going to happen? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. You know, I I I I think I can see how it can be considered a strength. Um, but, you know, at, throughout all of the act one and i just want to touch on this real quick before we jump back into the story the i i found it a little too slow i found it a little the, the pacing to be a little off in this in the in the first act um just because there's there's so much going on but we're seeing these little micro um events within this two hour span um and like it takes if you're listening to this book it takes like four hours to get through two hours of real time you know what i mean um so i, I just felt like the pacing is off a little bit here um but i do agree that it, it builds the tension really well um like it, you i mean you 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 can feel the the anxiety of how this is going to be resolved before the actual impact happened into that. Um, so we left off uh, where we were talking about um, this, this, this space team is trying to now destroy this chunk of space debris that's headed for um, uh, happened again. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to back up. So this, this, um, 
space team is is trying to destroy this chunk of debris before it hits the planet. Excuse me, the moon. Um, but Buriaga, which is the Padawan Wookiee Jedi, um, his strength in the Force is empathy, essentially. Um, and there's a lot of really cool Jedi stuff in how they use the Force in this. Um, and and I, I, I let's touch on that a little bit later because I want to get through this first part. But Buriaga in particular, his, his strength is empathy. And he actually could feel the presence on this uh, on this you know, piece of debris of live people like the, so this is where we find out that, uh, the captain of the legacy run was successful, at least in some part in saving her passengers. So now the, they're just hurtling through hyper, uh, out of hyperspace. And now they're <laughs> zipping through hyperspace at with no speed. control, um, <laughs> to their, certain death uh for most of them but this particular um uh emergence along with i think there's like 10 others um that are able to be saved by these these space teams and this this one is the first one um so now this this search and destroy plan turns into a rescue plan um so they have to figure out how now they can't just shoot this down. Now they have to figure out how they're going to slow it down so that they can actually rescue it. So the way they went about that is uh, the, the Jedi kind of collaborated with the long beam where the long beam was going to tail the I, I just I, I know this is really in detail, but I, I think this is really cool. So they were going to tail this uh, this chunk of debris and latch on to it, but they needed help from the Jedi to actually slow it down. And so the Jedi um, use all of their all of their muscle and the force to slow down the the this chunk of debris with by what seems like like a fraction of a percentage but like just enough for the long beam to latch on and slow it down so that they can actually rescue these people and they succeeded um, and it's well it's not just the jedi that are in the ships <clears throat> it's all of the jedi avar reaches out in the force to call upon even like yoda to well, participate not, in this. Not for this one. That, that's a little bit later. Not oh, for this one. That's yeah. so you're, you're right. And that's oh, the oh, other okay, thing that's yeah. happening is Sorry, that I'm, there's the there's a part. there's a piece of uh, there's a there's a cargo piece of this ship that contained the Tabanagas that we talked about earlier. That one is headed yeah. straight for one of the three suns in the system and essentially is going to destroy everything in the system if they can't get this to move. Um so that part is super cool. Um, so before we get into that, but the 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 Jedi or the the long beam basically they they spread how they did this with this chunk to save the other chunks that are still floating around in the system, um, and then we and then we see Avar Chris realize that they've got another problem. They have this this container of Tabana gas headed straight for the sun and it's going to destroy everything. And so Andy, what happens? Uh, well, they, they have to use the force to stop it. Um, and in order to do that, they need a lot of force users. So Avar Chris 
And one of the things that we're going to learn more about with each of these Jedi that we're introduced to is everyone kind of like has a different flavor with the force in some way, like a spe- like it's like kind of way that either they see that or like the way that it interacts with them. And Avar Chris is able to use the force like a big musical score. She's able to hear everyone's different notes in the force and how they tie together. So basically what she does is she reaches out and gets all of the force users throughout the galaxy that she can reach um, wherever they're, whatever they're doing, wherever they are, um, to aid in this assistance. So this is how she visualizes it: is like this musical score basically happening. And we learn that Jedi like Yoda are participating. We learn that Jedi are dying because of this, because they either uh, exhaust themselves and fall off a cliff, um, or in the the ships that they fly crash into one another because they pass out from exhaustion. So it's just this very epic moment. And when you've got the book um on tape or the audible not on tape that's a that's a boomer moment but when you listen to an audible one of the benefits of it is you get star wars music and you've got john williams score behind this epic force moment that just makes it way better in my opinion than just simply reading the text of it it's like you're closing your eyes and listening to a movie uh unfold yeah yeah, completely. It's a totally yeah. different experience. Uh, and not only are all these Jedi participating in this, like they are coordinating hitting this piece of debris with the Force in the same exact spot. So it takes an incredible amount of concentration to do that. And, you know, we, we touched on it earlier, but like this is just one of those little threads that like makes you think these Jedi are so much better than the prequel era Jedi because they're able to coordinate in this way. Like literally when Avar Chris uses it and uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned this part, she kind of like tethers all of the Jedi together through the force, almost like a Wi-Fi mesh router, which is like immediately what I thought of when she does that. Like not only does she hear the force in notes and as a song but she can tether everybody together which is like in my mind uh a luke force projection level technique i would imagine just being able to connect everybody so that's how she's able to connect everybody's feelings and uh get this message out to everybody through the force and when she does this um oh man i just lost my train of thought damn well, I mean, mm. when, so she you're you're right. I mean, she's she's one one of the strengths of her. So she sees the force as like a song, but her kind of specialty is communicating through the force. Like she and and that is something that you really don't see in other iterations of the Jedi as much. Like they really think through the force. Like they, especially Avar Chris, like she can not, not like you said, not only tether everybody together, but like really communicate between parties through the force. Um, and it's, it's, it's super, super cool. And, and I don't think this moment can be overstated. Like you, you, you hit on it too, Ted, like this is a force projection level Jedi move. Like this is the. This is some of the coolest, most powerful force techniques we've ever seen in in uh, in Star Wars um, to to get everybody not only in the not only in the system, but across the galaxy 
Jedi from across the galaxy work together on this one same mission to hit one particular spot on one particular vessel to move it out of the way of the sun. Like it is, it's really, really cool. And, and I, I hope that everybody listening has read it or will read it because what we're talking about doesn't give the moment justice. Like the way Charles soul describes this moment is, is super, super cool. Um, he does a great job of, of really giving you, the the magnitude of what this moment is and this is something you could never get in the movies you can't the th- closest you could get to visualizing this is probably the cartoons because they have so much more freedom with what you can do to interpretate things outside of cgi um, otherwise you're having to use cgi to do these things and then in a movie that's a big part of the budget so you can't do this type of storytelling in other media and it just happens to work so well in audiobook form yeah um and, and i actually remembered my thought uh, really quickly uh charles soul describes that avar chris when she sends out the message to everybody specifically near the system at first she says you know you don't have to participate in this i know this will cost some of you and exhaust a lot of you yeah nobody leaves and that's like my overarching point is you probably wouldn't get that from the prequel era jedi that there's just of Obi-Wan, but like it always seemed like the Jedi weren't necessarily on the same page when they were trying to work together. In this case, these guys are all on board. They know what's at risk, and they even talk about that they're risking their lives for 40 billion people that they don't even know, uh, but they're ready and willing to do it. And then that reaches even across the galaxy to Jedi that are on Coruscant like Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they they make sure to mention that Yoda exists about three times in this book, which is good. Yeah. You know, it just ties everything together a little bit. Just in case you're ever wondering, he exists. He's super old, and he's super awesome back then too. <laughs> right? Yeah, got got to put in the Yoda reference there. But yeah, man, oh, this yeah. this this moment. Um, I mean, I I I think we've talked about it enough, but I I just want to reiterate, like. It can't be overstated how powerful this moment is. Um, and it really puts into perspective um, the competency of the Jedi of this era yep. compared to the others. Um, th- so I guess at this point, let's just talk about what happened specifically. So at first, they're able to push it off course but only a little bit, and unfortunately it's still going to scrape the sun and probably still cause damage, maybe not as much. So even after a bunch of Jedi have died of exhaustion or just passed out, that's when she has to reach out again and say, hey, we need more help. I know I just asked a lot of you. I know you're all exhausted, but we need to push even further, and that's really what gets all of the other Jedi from outside of where that system is to participate in that, and they are able to push it just far enough like it scrapes the sun and that's really it and crisis averted awesome stuff yep so that is the that's the initiation to the great disaster 
right? So the, the Hetzal system is the first one affected by it. Um, and they were able to save uh, most of the system. You know, I, I'm sure there were a few casualties, but, um, you know, with bet, between the Jedi and the Republic, they were able to save the system from certain doom. Um, however, I think this is in the interlude, um, but uh, we do mm-hmm. we do see that another system sees a handful of emergences and is not so lucky. Uh, one of the anomalies hits the planet and kills 20 million people. Are you sure it's 20 million? 20 million. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yep. more than that? 20 million. Yep. I might be confusing with another number then I that mean, comes up later. You know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I did, I was kind of shocked by the numbers that they used. Like, I think in the Hetzal system, they said there was like 40 billion people in the system. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, that's a massive number. <laughs> 40 billion people on three planets that's, yeah that's I, huge. I guess though it's uh it's two moons and a planet so i i guess if they're all habitable then they can house quite a few people and who knows how big they are compared to earth i guess i just yeah that's true i mean i guess i just kind of assumed they were small but yeah there is three three system or three three planets in the system that are habitable so and also a pretty good rule of thumb just for star wars in general is just to throw science out the window because it when it comes down to it it's science fantasy and when people get super nitpicky about that stuff like like it is interesting to like question like wow that's a lot of people but like at some point you just got to be like that star wars let's yeah. move on you know yeah well i think they do that with with intention too you know uh putting putting magnitude and in, in, uh, perspective on on the galaxy yeah all right so now we move into act two whoa hold on what, we don't well, we don't we, we, no, we, we, we didn't really don't. finish that interlude part so we're in the abdallah yeah. system now um yeah. and obviously like you said uh a piece of uh the anomaly hits a planet and kills 20 million but that's when we get an introduction to our villains yes. of the series. So, like, th- this whole thing has happened with really no conflict from anybody on the outside until we see this villain called the Nihil. So they appear, and uh, their ships are described as super ugly, uh, kind of all different ships. But the one thing that... Uh, keeps them uniform is they've got these three lightning bolts painted across the ships uh so that's their sign uh and they're described as mass marauders uh who are thieves murderers and kidnappers uh but they're very unknown a lot of people say that nobody's like said that they've survived actually fighting against them some people have said they've escaped from them fled from them and like got lucky and everything but not really much is known about them. And uh, the, the big thing that happens here is uh, one of the surviving ships that comes off the planet before it's destroyed, uh, while it's leaving, it just gets swarmed by all these Nihil ships. And uh, another ship is actually watching this happen and describing what's happening. So they like shoot these, first they shoot a lightning-like bolt to disable power, uh, which we've seen in Star Wars before, disabling power in a ship. But then they shoot harpoons from like all sides of it and just ignite their engines 
and tear the ship apart. apart. Yeah. And all these people and all these objects are spilling into space. And that's essentially how they uh, destroy and plunder. Uh, so these are like super hardcore space pirates. And uh, the, the last vision you get of the Nihil is uh, the ship that watches this happen uh, gets boarded and... Uh, the Nihil are wearing all these masks and uh, they kind of send some poisonous gas into the ship to kill all the survivors and, uh, you know, take their plunder, I guess. Yeah, the, like this introduction, we're going to learn more about the Nihil throughout the book and whatnot, but it shows you like the basis for their moral compass uh, is very, very low. Let's do it. And then we end with... Let's introduce the Nihil. So without even telling us what exactly their role in is in this story, uh, it's foreshadowing something. That the Nihil, we're going to learn more about them, and I've got a sneaking suspicion they've got something to do with that anomaly in hyperspace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't really put that into the the act one because you know it's really just the introduction to the Nihil and it does set up what we can expect from the Nihil um, but it's largely inconsequential to the story at large it really does just kind of set your expectations for this 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 horrible group of people um, uh, well no I don't know because of the of the Abdal system like that is and that is essentially the great disaster like that's 20 million people die because of this like you think that you were successful with stopping the disaster from the legacy run, but you weren't. The we kill we kill off twenty million people with this thing, and now that's going to trigger a response. The galaxy has to do something, and that's where right. part two picks up. Right, exactly. Well, and I think that that that's the real consequential part of this story is that the Abdal system gets hit. Like they they lose a lot of people to this. Um, to this event and and you're absolutely right now the republic has to respond and so we we go to uh coruscant in uh at the beginning of act two and we have chancellor lena so um whose claim to fame is her quote we are all the republic um she is a super popular um uh, leader um, she has led through this time of peace, um, but now they, the Republic has to respond to the events that happened on Hetzon at, uh, in, what is it, Abdalus? Is that the other system? Abdalus, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they uh, were on Coruscant and uh, were holding a meeting on how disaster uh, in the Outer Rim. Um, and it's, uh, I'm lagging again. I'm going to wait for this to uh, resolve itself here. Am I back? Mm -hmm. You're back. Okay. Uh, I will fix this for next stream. Sorry, guys. Um, That's okay. <laughs> um, okay, so we have to we have to figure out how we're going to. Um, to handle this disaster on the Outer Rim. Uh, remember, the Outer Rim is still um, relatively uh, a new frontier. And, um, you know, there's the, this, this has a lot of implications for, you know, how the Outer Rim will 
will be will will survive you know will will be kind of a, a, a um impactful in the galaxy i guess for lack of a better term well and i think it's also setting us up for what's going to happen in the prequel trilogy which is the you've got the republic versus um separatists the separatists who want to get out from what the core has done because the core what is basically just caring about itself not really these other territories but here we've we kind of have the opposite of that we've like showing that like no lena so she's like really caring about the outer rim she wants to include them in the greater galaxy to be a part of the republic that's what we are all the republic means there is no distinction yeah. between the outer rim versus the inner core like we are all a part of this one big thing completely completely um and and you know in this meeting we have senators and representatives from the outer rim who are concerned about some of the resolutions that are proposed um in this meeting uh to deal with this so uh the the great disaster really if nothing else just opens up a lot of questions and problems to resolve right so first of all we have to find out what actually caused this how did this happen you know um are are the hyperlanes safe again the hyperlanes are somewhat uh, unknown we just don't know as much about hyperspace at this point in time um and and there is some distrust about hyperspace um in general um is this going to happen again? Can this happen again? How did this happen in the first place? How, which is largely seen as impossible, but yet it happened. So, is this going to happen again? Is this a threat from an adversary? Um, are is the Republic under attack? Um, and and then in the more immediate future, where are the next emergencies going to occur from this event? Um, and that's really what they what they have to deal with first and foremost to protect the outer rim from the you know another great disaster, essentially. So uh, what they decide to do is so the Lena So says she's going to shut down the the hyperlanes to the outer rim, um, and and I, again I mentioned you know there there are representatives from the outer rim that ha that take issue with that, you know the outer rim does not have many resources. They do not have um, free travel to begin with, and restricting them can be really um, inhibiting to their survival. So, but, you know, uh, we're, we're at a time of panic at this point, and um, they don't know what's going on, so they're taking all the precautions that they need to. They also have to devise a plan on how to predict the future emergencies um, appearing in multiple different systems. Where are these going to happen? What kind of damage can they, you know, can they expect and prevent? Hopefully, and so they they devise a plan to do so. Uh, they need to search for the flight recorder. Um, to figure out what caused this, right? The flight recorder from the legacy run, and. Kevin Tarr comes to the rescue again. Kevin Tarr, our farmer slicer, um, he says that he can he can do this. He can predict where these emergences will happen. Uh, caveat, he needs tens of thousands of navigation droids to do so. He has to link all these droids together. Um, and 
it seems like the Republic really doesn't have the resources to give him. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but uh, they have to go elsewhere to get these droids. Um, but they do, they do, you know, uh, humor his his plan. It's like they're like because well, yeah. navigation droids are built into ships. You don't just like you don't have them separately. So it's like, okay, okay, we got to either take them out. Yeah. And then like, they don't manufacture enough of them. So like, it was just this, uh, it's one of those things where if you compare it to like a real world situation, you know, think of like world war two when they turned like car factories into um, tank factories. It's like the defense production act. Yeah. Essentially like that's what needed to happen here is you realize, okay, we're, we've got some thing that needs to get solved we can't do it because the government just doesn't normally produce these things so hey now we need to get the private sector involved with this yeah and the interesting thing is too uh not only do they need all these droids but it's to recreate a simulation of what happened so they can a see what happened and uh you know discover how they're gonna handle that but also they need to be able to figure out where these next emergencies are going to happen. And on top of that, there's another team that's literally going out and finding as many pieces of the anomaly as they can that are out there, kind of bring them all together to kind of recreate the legacy run in an attempt to say, okay, well, here are the pieces that we have missing here. How many of them could emerge? Where will they emerge? All this stuff. So, yeah, like you said, I think they end up saying he needs like 100,000 nav droids, which is insane. And for them to even humor him shows that uh, this is a dire circumstance. And the way they do is they send him, uh, Avar Chris, and uh, another Jedi, Elzar Man, who we haven't really introduced yet, right. uh, to meet with the Santeca clan. And that might sound familiar because we know Lor Santeca from uh, The Force Awakens. He's the guy who ends up giving the uh, piece of the map to Poe Dameron to find Luke Skywalker that ends up uh, getting put into BB-8 and ends up driving the plot of that, which makes sense. So the Santecas are described as these people who are hyperspace prospectors. That's their trade. So they're the ones who go out into space and map out these hyperspace lanes. So uh, you kind of get a picture of like how new this thing is to the point where there are prospectors looking for lanes and mapping them. Uh, So the Santeca clan, uh, their family are the ones who do that. And uh, so they go to them to ask, A, is something like this possible could something have come out of hyperspace or come into a hyperspace lane when the legacy run was in it to uh, cause this disaster and b do you have enough droids for us we need a lot of droids yeah and uh when they're i know we're jumping a little bit ahead but we'll we'll we'll, we'll touch on this now uh, they the santecas seem pretty they 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 seem to be hiding something. Yeah, they're um, sketchy as yeah. fuck. Yeah, Elzar man, uh, he he has a, a knack for just picking up. Uh, I don't know if it's picking up deception in particular, but but picking up on um, you know uh, human emotions, I guess. Um, you know, well, his general. forced power is he views it as like an ocean or like yeah, water, right? Almost. Right. That's so how like described when someone is not telling the truth or they're 
there's so he can sense that because it's like a, a disturbance in the water it's like a ripple that you see it's like throwing a, a i don't think this is actually how they describe it but it makes sense to me is that like if you can visualize how water moves and all of a sudden something is feeling something all right it becomes turbulent and yeah. it shows and that's what he's able to identify yeah and and he definitely senses that they're hiding something um and uh you know the santecas uh just a side note um are they a, a gay couple yeah Cool. Seemingly, yeah. Uh, I, I, makes I, you wonder if Loris Tantec is adopted or what's going on there. <laughs> well, but, I'm sure yeah. there's a couple generations between them. Um, oh, yeah. It, 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 I guess it makes me wonder, I guess, like who he's related to in the Santeca clan uh specifically but that's neither here nor there <laughs> i just i think it's cool like they didn't outward you know come out right and say it and i i didn't even realize that they were both men until i read read reread it again but yeah uh, it's hard when you've got charles soul or uh, mark thompson doing yeah. female voices yeah because it just sounds like what would be maybe a gay man's yeah <laughs> yeah it's so uh but i i, th I think that's pretty cool uh, how they do he just uh, charles soul just kind of put that in there um nice job um but at any rate uh yeah so they they don't really get <laughs> what a hold on what if the only reason why Daisy? oh oh we, we were really off there huh yeah we were all off oh sorry all right andy go ahead what were you saying oh zach you're down i'm down no, my, mine is just like a, a funny comment. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like your sound's like way off. My sound is way off? Yeah, you're talking, and now we hear you. Yeah, you're out of sync with your video. Oh, no. Well, it's like, right. keep, ignore what I, I was just going to make a joke, so keep going. Well, yep. if it's a funny joke, I want you to say it. I don't know if it's funny now. I was just going to say, okay, what if, <laughs> what if Mark Thompson, the only reason why we have Daisy Ridley, who is cast in the role, is because they were doing some like recording stuff and Mark Thompson could only do a female British voice. And they're like, shit, now we got to find a female British actor to do this. Otherwise, we can't have, he won't be able to do it. We won't have our best <laughs> reader be able to do this for us. I, he might I, be onto I can, something. I can definitely see a universe where all of star wars is revolved around mark thompson in fact i wouldn't mind that universe wouldn't mind it not at I, all i love mark thompson absolutely um, all right so anyway so we we this this actually happens a little further into the story so we're gonna backtrack a little bit um but uh to fit to to button up this part of it um the santecas actually do agree to lend the republic um their nav droids for this project um, to predict, you know, for, for Kevin Tarr to predict the emergencies. Yeah. And the part that uh, Elzar Man thinks they're lying about, though, is uh, when they ask specifically, is this something mm -hmm. that could have been possible, that something right. could have gotten into the hyperspace lane? And that's when he, like, feels that ripple specifically. Yeah. They're like, no, so, there's no way. There's just there's just no way. Yeah, like, and he, he kind of has a like, forced uh, argument with uh, Avar Chris, yeah. uh, which, by the way, there's That's some cool. uh, some tension going on between those two. That they've known each other since they were Padawan. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. Oh, there mm -hmm. are so many cool things that come up later with this too. The, the yeah. very last like chapter with it. Yeah, the, yeah, like the epilogue is a really good uh, uh, representation of their of their relationship. But yeah, yeah, good point. That that is like the 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 main thing that he thinks they're lying about which is a problem because 
they need to know what's happening. And uh, the Santecas seem to know something that they're not sharing with the Republic. Yeah. I, I think the other thing, too, uh, to really button this up is the Santecas have a quick conversation between each other after they all leave. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, they kind of wonder to themselves, could it be so-and-so? No, she she must be dead by now. So, so there's a female character out there that they're referencing that we don't know about that's foreshadowing uh something happening uh that we'll touch on later yeah they're like does doesn't this sound like her yeah she can't be alive zach you've you've called this a uh, like a book club um in, in like your various descriptions of this yeah. so like that is something like as a a book um what's the right way of like review or something describe that some literary elements like foreshadowing they do a great job um in this book so i hope that's something that's going to continue throughout the high republic series but charles soul uses foreshadowing very effectively in this book where it's like we're gonna set up this thing and you're not really gonna address it right away you're gonna do some other story stuff but we're going to come back to this thing later and it's going to be important. So like, don't ignore this. So in these books, when you get presented with a piece of information and if you have questions or you're like, Hmm, that's interesting. Just like I said, with the last Jedi, don't hold judgment at that point in time, wait, or rather hold judgment, wait, because you will probably get that answer a little later in this book. Yeah. I mean, these, these, the stories are, well written <laughs> you know there everything has a purpose um and eventually we'll find out uh the answers that we're looking for um maybe not even in the same story you know uh there's a big cliffhanger at the end of this story that we'll talk about um but you're right they do a great job at foreshadowing throughout this story um and really tie it all together at the end so so let's get to it um let's let's start moving through this so we we visit the Nihil again um, after we after um, the the meeting on Coruscant, and we find out a little bit more about the Nihil. Um, basically, the Nihil structure is this pyramid type hierarchy of chaotic soldiers essentially um it's kind of it's a weird juxtaposition because their their motto is basically every man for themselves take what you want um but there's still this hierarchy of power within um so it's it's an interesting setup and and they they um they subscribe to the rule of three uh, which should not be confused with the rule of two of the Sith, but the rule of three of the Nihil um, is this again this 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 pyramid shaped hierarchy. So um, we have the three Tempest Runners, and the Tempest Runners basically lead what the, their 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 crews. Their Tempest um, is what they call them. Uh, we have Kasiv, uh, Lorna D, and Paneda. Um, and they work with the eye of the Nihil, um, who is Martian Rowe, who is probably one of my favorite characters in Star Wars in a long time. Uh, Martian mm. Rowe is a super cool villain. Um, so did you feel that way right away when reading this? Because my personal opinion on him is I do not like him at his introduction. 
I don't I don't even like the Nihil at their introduction during these parts because I'm like, ah, oh, here we go. It's not until we get into the end of the book where I'm like, OK, Agreed. oh, yeah. okay. you won me over. You won me over. But you didn't yeah. get me there right away. Agreed. I mean, the the Nihil uh, in general and Martian Row specifically have a great arc through this through this story. Um and yes, I agree. I mean, it, it, when you first meet the Nihil, it really they're they're kind of uninteresting. It just, they're just uh, they're just pirates. They're just out for themselves, um, and they seem largely inconsequential to the galaxy at large. Um, until we get deeper into uh, the story and how they respond to the great disaster as well. Well, even like as we're learning about them in this like the Great Hall scene, because that's like at this point in time what we're we're introducing all these characters. Um, like the rule of three, yet there's four of them. So it like they just I was annoyed yeah. by this this introduction of them. Like what that we're getting this rule of three, but there's four characters now, and they each take a third. But that doesn't make sense because if they're taking a third of the cut, then there's four of them. It doesn't work out mathematically. I will. Yeah, lie. I was a little I, confused by that too. I, I think it's a way, though, and, uh, you know, just to talk about your point, Andy, quickly, uh, as far as, like, their introduction, I think that's purposeful so they can have that arc that Zach talks about yeah. uh, because you feel a certain way about Martian Rowe and the characters around him feel a certain way about him that we all do at the beginning, and you feel totally different about him at the end of it, and it's purposeful because he has a plan the entire time. But... Um, I, I think the intent of the rule of three plus one almost is the eye is part of the Nihil, but he's also almost like a contractor. So the eye the ends up being the one who supplies the Nihil with paths. So we'll kind of keep going with this a little bit. So paths are these seemingly unmapped hyperspace lanes that nobody else knows about. And at this point in time, nobody knows how Martian Rowe has these paths. All they know is his father, who used to be the Eye, had the paths, and he passed them on to Martian Rowe. And these other Tempest Runners would kill Martian Rowe in an instant if they had access to these paths. But because they're kept so secret, they have to keep him alive, and they have to use him because the paths are very important to what the Nihil do which is pretty much take people by surprise and destroy and plunder. And, you know, having these unmapped hyperspace lanes is key to that because if people don't know you're going to show up here, then they won't expect it and they'll be, uh, you know, caught off guard and you'll be able to destroy them and take everything they have that much easier. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and on top of that, Below them, their rankings amongst the, the lower level of the Nihil as well. There's storms, clouds, and strikes. I couldn't remember specifically who was higher than another. Do you guys know what the hierarchy was? It's storms. Yep. That makes sense. Um Sorry, guys. But uh, I, I guess I, as I we go here, uh, we find out. Th oh, that, that's okay. Um, well, Ted, hold on, we'll make sure we get that. So, Ted, you were just talking about the the hierarchy within the um, the Nihil. So, their structure is you have the storms, which are run by the Tempest Runners. So they're they're kind of in charge of those, and then storms have clouds 
who are kind of like the next tier down and then clouds have strikes which are the bottom tier and those are the like the grunts of the the, the night hill man yeah it's a real pyramid scheme it is because you have to, they they talk this is something they talk about too is like how the the lower end people are like oh yeah like we're doing these things we have all this freedom but then it's like yeah do we because then we just end up like having to take orders from the person above us and when we make a mistake like or if they make a mistake like we suffer because of it yeah and the strikes clouds and storms uh depending are very replaceable they talk about that all the time too well if we lose these guys we'll replace them with more uh, you know, it, it. if you've ever uh, sold LuLaRoe, you probably feel some things when reading this book. <laughs> it is just like a really violent MLM. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I guess as we keep on going here, um, uh, speaking of uh, Martian Rose's father, he thinks that uh, the other Tempest Runners killed his father. He doesn't have any proof and he doesn't know which one or if all, but that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, but he ends up being worried about the Republic's investigation into the incident and wants to lie low for a while. So he tells them, you know, we're not going to give out any more paths. We're just going to kind of lay low and uh, we're just kind of going to do what we can with what we have already. But Lorna D, one of the Tempest runners, proposes a job to him that's supposedly going to be kind of on the down low where it's just kidnapping this rich family who settled in an outer rim uh, planet called Elfrona and uh, it's just kidnapping them and ransoming them essentially and getting a bunch of money for them. Uh, so he actually agrees to that and uh, tells her to go and do that. But he says, don't get the attention of the Jedi because there's a Jedi outpost on Elfrona, which is important in the immediate future and later on. Yeah. Which definitely. this brings up, like we're going to talk about it later, but like how this all develops is very strange to me like how did we get to this this specific part here like lorna d because i'll have to spoil what happens later to get to it so i guess earmark this and come back to it but like it's confusing me that lorna d is the one who suggests this when it's part of um a seemingly greater plot yeah it is weird i i i i mean we can we can talk about it now you know i maybe we should wait Uh, it's the weirdest thing to me is that she somehow has this plan and and Martian Road just all right after he just said we're not giving out any more paths is just like okay fine like after he like puts his foot down he's like yeah sure uh, yeah go ahead but how do you're right how did how did she get this plan this one plan that Martian Road was was willing to do um I, I think I you have I to suspend your explained. disbelief a little bit when you get to the later part as far as like how this develops. Uh, I, at least my head canon would be uh, she mentions something, he hears Alfrona, and a little light goes off in his head because mm-hmm. he has some knowledge that they don't know about, but he has the knowledge of. And, uh, you know, it, he's just like, well, we can try to take advantage of this. And later on in as we go on through the book, his plan, he even admits, like, yep. I knew there was really a chance point. this could happen, and it was a very slight chance, but, you know, it it went into my overarching plan here, but I thought, why not? 
let's just but, take a little chance well, here. What what he says uh, later on really plays into this, you know. I and and I think you're absolutely right. His his whole thing is, I don't have plans. I have goals. Yes, and, that's exactly. It. And you know the things plans don't always work, but if you have a goal, there's a means to an end. And mm-hmm. this is essentially what that is. Yeah. yeah so I think Ted's head cannon is absolutely right then. Like yeah. he, when he hears the planet, all of a sudden the gears start spinning or he goes like, oh yeah, now be careful. Don't draw any attention because there's a Jedi. And then later on, that's what we're going to find out. So, right. yep. All right. So yep. let's, let's keep moving. Cause so the act two, and, and we've been talking about a lot of like the beginning of act two, there's a lot that happens here and we jump back and forth between kind of three different story threads that will all come together at the end. Um, so let's introduce one. Um, well, I guess I continue on another, this, this story thread on, um, Elfrona. Um, so Lorna D's crew goes to Elfrona to kidnap this family. And there's a lot that happens with this family, but I kind of want to skip past some of it because it's not all mm-hmm. that important um, about you know, the, the family itself. Um, but what's more important is um, that uh, Loden Greystorm and his Padawan Bell, as well as um, I think, wh- what's her name? Um, Irdina. Um, uh, I can't oh, remember her name, but I gotta look. There's there's a couple other Jedi that are out on this outpost that receive a distress call from um from from somebody that the the son reached out to the son of the family reached out to somebody and they passed along the distress call to the Jedi. Regardless, the Jedi get this distress distress call and respond to this family that got kidnapped. Well, this distress call though is important. And it's kind of like a spoiler if you listen to the book and probably not a spoiler if you read the book. I mean, it depends. I definitely didn't catch on to it. Uh, Yeah. And I think it was purposefully uh, a little distorted in a way because it sounded more like a voice coming over the radio, like over a comm uh, than like the clear voice so it, did you guys pick up on it though i picked up i caught okay. it right away and i was like okay like that's that's interesting this is this is where i start liking martian row mm. um spoiler alert because it's martian row uh <laughs> you- damn it andy <laughs> <laughs> it's important we need to know that now it, it yeah. is yeah. yeah yeah um yeah that's a really good point i did not catch it at first um I didn't know. So, so if you don't, especially if you're reading, uh, this is really what sets things into motion. Uh, Marcian Rowe, like Andy said, ends up being the guy who calls. And uh, that, like I said before, he, he just kind of gets this little idea to put these little things in place to see if maybe just maybe things can go his way and his goals can be obtained. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, the the Jedi obviously respond, right? They have to respond because they're the Jedi and they're the 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 best Jedi ever, right? Um, so they uh, they try to chase down the Nihil before the Nihil can um, can take off uh, from the planet with the family. Um, and the Nihil managed to actually get to the ship. With most of the family, um, they they chuck the mom out before they get to the ship, um, and and the 
girl out of uh out of the ship out of the airlock yeah (laughs) when they're actually in the air um and so the the jedi follow the nihil into the air and uh we'll we'll continue on this story i you know this it's it's a cool thread but there's just so much detail in this particular story that really doesn't matter a whole lot in the grand scheme of things so you know unless there's anything else i don't know about that okay like yeah i I would not well i just i i don't want to say that definitive of a statement right now because i think there are threads from the part two that are going to be picked up in other high republic material so some of the things that like these characters that we are kind of glazing over right now yeah we're going to continue with their stories in other material Um, but one thing we didn't mention or we kind of alluded to earlier on was okay the ships that they fly which i'm going to keep forgetting their names um the vectors the vectors so how the vectors get flown one of our jedi um controls two vectors at once during this little sequence of events and the way that they're able to do that is because the vectors are designed in such a way that they have mechanical controls so unlike buttons and things or like computer rise controlled parts they actually have physical mechanical things so that they can Uh, Indira, Indira. Um, she's such an amazing pilot that she's able to not only fly hers, but control another one at the same time. Yeah, so she flies uh, hers and another one into this scene to help them in this rescue and basically like drops off the unmanned one for Loden Greatstorm to uh, start riding. And uh, that helps them in the rescue sequence here. Uh, there's another Jedi. Um, I I I, th- I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I think that's in Act Three. If oh, I'm maybe. not mistaken. Um, but it's all part it, of this the is same what's thread. hard because you keep skipping back and forth. I know. And, and between these sequences, I kind of like it, full disclosure. I was kind of like trying to figure out how I wanted to lump, the, like how I wanted to organize that because like it, we could just go off the same threads and, and do that in order. But chronologically, they, they kind of all these events are happening at the same time, you know? So there's, there's another event. Um, oh, I think this is part two. This is where it happens. Well, the, the rest of I still think until that part happens a little later, though. Uh, there's still more stuff that happens chronologically, like Zach says. We've got two other threads that are going on at the same time here. Yeah. Oh, so, I get. Yeah. So if we talk about talk, yeah, I get what you're saying now. Yeah, I mean, it's it like these these three stories uh, or the three parts of the stories are all happening simultaneously, and they'll all wrap up together. Um, so so the the next. The next story, well, I guess if we're, we're going chronologically, what we what we see next is um, is Martian Rowe on his flagship. Um, and this is where we find out how Martian Rowe is getting the paths. So we find out that he has kept alive and imprisoned Mari Santeca. Um, which I don't know, maybe you guys caught this, but I, I don't remember exactly what her relationship is to the Santecas that we've met already. I, obviously, they're part of the same clan, um, but I don't know if it's, you know, mother, uh, you know, mother, aunt, whatever. Um, I'm not exactly sure. But seemingly, Mari has this power that she can see paths 
uh, you know, hyperspace paths and provide them to Martian Rowe for his exploits, essentially. Yeah, they don't go into too much detail, but they say something happens to her when she's about six years old as a young hyperspace prospector. She's able to see these paths that none of the other prospectors are able to see and like see space and hyperspace in a way that nobody else can. So she's got like this extrasensory ability to map and see these hyperspace lanes and uh, goes even further than that later on, too. Yeah. And, you know, this this also she can also um, and this is the more consequential part of this. She can predict uh, for Martian future emergences, which he can now use to uh, kind of manipulate the Republic, essentially. Um, you know, the, now he can see where the flight recorder is coming out and he can destroy it. At least that's what we think his plan is right now um right the other thing too real quick is he asks her specifically before he finds out all of this on his own if it would be possible for the republic to recreate and reconstruct this so she says basically like laughs at him says of course uh you know that they should be able to do it obviously with the right technology and everything uh but then he's like okay well if they can can you tell me so he's operating under the assumption that not only is he going to know but the republic is going to know and this is going to be important later on as well absolutely and that's what we see next so kevin tar um you know in this is a big long um you know uh, exposition here but is it to boil it down kevin tar succeeds in his project on predicting um the the next emergences um with the assistance of the Jedi, which is really cool. Um, they basically help cool down these droids um, that are overworked um, to to get the results that they're looking for. Um, and uh, is it Avar, Chris, and El- uh, El- uh, Elzar Man who actually do it together? Yeah. Like they create like rain. <laughs> they summon is, a storm. They summon a storm uh, to yep. cool down these droids, which is pretty cool. Um you know, the, 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 the power, the, the force powers that we see in this book are just bonkers. Like, they're just so, yeah. so cool. Um, and, and this, oh, go Ted, you got something? Oh, uh, you're probably saying the same thing. Go ahead. I, I, don't, well, I was just going to say, like, there's symbolism with this because it's a storm. Right. And in this case, it's like the, the good side of a storm. So when you think of the dichotomy between the Jedi and in this case, the enemy, the Nihil, like they view a storm as like this destructive, chaotic thing, but the Jedi are able to conjure a storm and use it as like a healing way to uh, baptize essentially the the droids uh, to cool them down, which is allowing them to to do their function, which is to do these complex calculations that are causing them to overheat. Yeah, yeah, that's actually not what I was going to say. So that's okay, really good. interesting. Uh, what I was going to say was, uh, we didn't touch on this, Elzar Mann uh, specifically, he's described as a Jedi who, uh, he's a knight. He's old enough to be a master, though. He should be a master. He's talented enough. Uh, but the reason he's not is because he experiments a lot in the Force and doesn't always tell the Jedi around him because they're big old narcs. Uh, 
what he's going to do. He just thinks like, well, let's see if I can manipulate the force in this way and do something with it. And sometimes to great success and they learn a lot from the force and other times to great failure. And that's what kind of alienates him uh, to his fellow Jedi and why he's not a knight and specifically or why he is a knight and not a master. And it's specifically why Avar Chris recruited him for this mission, because uh, not only are they friends, but she wants to help him get elevated to master if he can help in some way shape or form and it's his idea where he just decides well let's see what i can do with the force here and help me avar um so they manipulate the the molecules in the air and just kind of help expedite making storm clouds they don't really create anything they just kind of use what's around them to help form it in a, a certain way uh, that it's not currently being used. So uh, they, they do a good job of explaining that too, that he's not like conjuring something up through the force. He's yeah. literally just manipulating what's around him, that the air, the molecules to uh, put them in a place where they can create storm clouds and then uh, cool down the nav droids. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, putting water coolers in your... Uh, gaming rig or whatever yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's true I, yeah that you're, you're right i mean there there's a sense of scientific explanation with these force powers which is uh beneficial to the yeah. story i think but i just thought i'd be remiss if we didn't mention specifically elzar man and like what his whole motivation is and who he is as a character a little bit more you're right. I mean, yeah, he is a really, and, and I expect that we'll see a lot more of Elzar Man in the future too. Um, but yeah, we haven't really talked about him much, and he is a really important character throughout the story. Um, yep. So uh, next, we see the Republic um, sending out teams to deal with the emergencies. Now that they know where they are going to be showing up. Um, now they need to deal with them. And specifically, um, there are three teams that go out to um, uh, intercept emergences that uh, are likely to have the Legacy Runs bridge, which holds the flight recorder. So there are three places that could possibly ha uh, emerge with the flight recorder. Um, and our favorite Bears fan and a uh, Jedi team go after one and uh that of course that's the one that has the flight recorder on it uh but uh, lorna d uh is also at that same location because marcian Rowe sent her to intercept the flight recorder um and destroy it so the republic can't get it again that's at least what we think right now um so the in her attempt to shoot down the flight recorder, she actually kills Tayami, uh, one of the Jedi, um, where, you know, while she was actually um, helping in the success for the uh, recover the flight recorder. And uh, they she gets pursued by the long beam. And um, uh, what's the, the species of the Jedi with the weird head? Do you remember? The um, oh the Ithorian, is it Ithorian? Uh, Maybe. Yeah, Ithorian species. Ithorian, yeah. So the Ithorian Jedi um, goes after her in his vector. 
so the uh, the Republic actually gets the flight recorder and they they see um they see what happens. They see that the, that the uh, there actually was uh, something that that crossed paths with the Legacy Run in hyperspace. Um, so essentially, like if you're if if the if the Legacy Run is going north and south through this hyperspace lane, um, the Nihil ship is going east to west, and they cross paths, which again is shouldn't really be possible. Like they can't explain how this happened. Um, but well, they, no, it's because it's a different. It's essentially a different hyperlane. So they well, they know right. of the one hyperlane, but now they're like, okay, this is a, a different, like it's cutting through um, the hyperlane path. But as right. far as the understanding of the Republic, it, that's the whole big thing is a bunch of people from the Republic end up saying that's impossible about a million times when we talk yeah. about all these occurrences with hyperspace, which gets a little bit annoying because we as the reader and listener know what's actually going on. Uh, but that, that's kind of where their mind is at because they, they don't have this understanding uh, and it's important that they don't because that's how uh, the Nihil are able to succeed in some way, shape or form in this book. Yeah, exactly. Well, so after they review the flight recorder footage, I guess for lack of a better term, um, first of all, Avar, Chris, and Elzar Man are like, yeah, we knew the Santecas were hiding something. They're like, if this is possible, they know it's possible. And why do they know it's possible? Um, so that that's a really interesting um thought from them uh but then they're so they're reviewing this with lena so uh chancellor lena so and at this point she's like well we're going after the night hill uh, we we, we got to bring him to justice and the the interesting thing about that is that the republic doesn't have a military they are defenseless essentially uh, you know sans a small you know uh I, th I think there is like a, a small uh, battalion, essentially, that they have. Um, I don't know the best way to describe that, but um, they have to cobble together, you know, a bunch of ships to, to fight this. Well, they have like a defense act. So where they can um, call upon the like standing military of planets within uh, the Republic. So like your, your big ones. Um uh, I'm blinking on any of their names right now. Uh, Ariadu. Ariadu. Yep, that's gonna and that's an important one for later on. Um, oh God, uh, I'm blanking on the other ones. It doesn't matter. But anyways, it's okay. ideas that like they're gonna use the planets within the uh, new or the Republic, and then also they do have a small like your correct Zach because they they do like training. So that's going to be important later on is that like the military that they do have does go through a, a training and things like that. But that's going to be problematic later on for the type of battle they get involved with. And let's backtrack to Ariadu. Um, I think we actually I think this actually happens before um, the Republic gets hand, their hands on the the, the flight recorder. Um, but uh, Kasiv, yeah. one of the one of the Tempest runners, um uses the information from Martian Rowe uh, about the future emergences and where they're going to happen to extort the system of Ariadu for protection. 
So they go to one of the emergences for in, in the Ariadu system. Kasif and his crew, and essentially tells the uh, Ariadu, um, you know, uh, uh, governor, know, governor, whatever their whatever her title yeah. is, that um, this is going to happen, and if you don't pay us, was it fifty million credits or something like that, um, we're going to let it happen. But if you pay us, we'll protect you from it. We'll make sure that this doesn't hit your planet. And uh, the, the they, they actually let one of the emergencies go, and it destroys, I think, a, 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 a station outside of the system, or, or off-planet, at least. And it shows the Iriadu governor that, oh, this is actually happening. So she... Well, I, I, think, I think the way it goes is... He, he gives them like a demonstration. So the first one comes in, there are supposed to be three emergences mm. here. One comes in, he destroys it. And then he says, okay, I just proved to you that they're coming. Right. Uh, and I destroyed one for free. You owe me 50 million credits if I'm going to save you from the next two. And uh, she ends up paying up. He destroys the next one, I think. And then I think when they try to jump to the spot where the next one's going to be, because it's like a quick jump well, that they have to make, they miss. Yeah. And uh, that ends up hitting something, I believe. Well, before she pays him, they actually do. They, one of them actually hits uh, something in the system. I think oh, it's like I a ship. That. I think it's a ship. And, and so he, and because he says, he's like, just remember, you could have avoided this because she didn't pay him. Yeah. And he let it go. Okay. And yeah. then, she, and then she pays him, but he doesn't succeed in actually destroying the next one. And it hits, I think a moon on Iriadu or maybe, maybe Iriadu itself. And uh, it kills millions of people. I think it hits a portion of the planet and kills uh, a good chunk of people. Yeah. Is what ends up happening. I'm pretty sure. I think it, it like clips the planet. Yeah, it, 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 it was bad. It was really, really, yeah. really bad. Uh, yeah, she's not happy. Not, yeah, she he did not actually mean for that to happen. And so he's like, let's get out of here. <laughs> we're, yep. we're gone. Because it, it, during that moment, too, he's like, well, if we can get these credits, let's just leave. We don't have to go back to the Nihil. Forget it. Marcian Rose going crazy. Let's get out of here. Yeah. But the important part to remember here, though, is that she tells him, I've been transmitting this uh, conversation to our senator, our representative in the yeah. Republic on Coruscant. Uh, so they know who you are. She even tells him his name and says what his ship's name is. And like, we know who you are. So that prompts him to get the heck out of there <laughs> yeah yeah they they beat it back to the nihil which is frankly not what uh what kasev wanted to do um but now no. he's in big trouble so he he has to re retreat back to the nihil um and uh yeah so so with all of this happening um the nihil now know that the republic is after them martian well, wrote Go you ahead. skipped over the moon blowing up. What do you mean the moon blowing up? In Iriadu, they miss with the third. Yeah, that's what we just talked about. Oh, well, the we third did one mention hit... that, but I mistakenly said it clipped the planet. I I was thought it, it just moon? clipped the planet. What, yeah, was it and it kills 1.2 billion people. Okay, okay. One point, I, well, <laughs> we understated it, but it was there. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, that's why I'm confused. You're like, oh yeah, just you know, eclipse it. When I'm like. 
am I missing something? That's like the first thing I thought does something. Uh, no, the third one. And that's this is important because it blows up 1.2 billion people, right. and it just right. so happens that the Iriadu, um, who we we know someone who's mm-hmm. Iriadu in, um, if that's how you say it. That's Tarkin. This is his home planet. These are right, fucking. Yep. Ooh, I just dropped the F bob. See, there's you get excited with it. <laughs> this is a warrior planet. These people like train. They send someone up a mountain to like go fight a beast in order to like prove yourself. <laughs> and now right. this yeah, guy just blew up 1.2 billion of their people. So they're gonna be pissed off. Yeah, yeah read, that's read a plug Tarkin, for uh, the Tarkin book. Yeah, absolutely. Read Tarkin. Uh, uh, great book. They are systematic as far as how they approach battle. They are incredible. Very yeah. good book. It is a great so, book. So uh, this was the wrong group of people to mess with, basically. It is. And she says as much <laughs> to Kasif yeah. before he leaves. Like, this was not a smart idea for you <laughs> you are going to pay um no and he thinks it's super smart too it's kind of funny to see the duality because he's like i'm a genius yeah i'm out here extorting these idiots and like he just had no clue who he was dealing with at nope. all nope and it definitely comes back to bite him uh at the end yep so, all right, good, good. Thank you, Andy, for the call. We did t- definitely understate the significance. Hold on, let me let's, let's okay. wait for this to resolve. There we go. All right. Oh boy, internet's fantastic. Carry on. So, anyway, I think for the third time now, the Nihil now know the Republic is after them, um, and Martian Rowe becomes an absolute savage uh i love this but this is where this is where i think martian Rowe becomes one of the most interesting villains um in star wars so traditionally the eye kind of stays out of the tempest runners business other than to provide them paths and get paid that's really his his role. The Tempest Runners are the ones that come to him with these plans and missions um, to to you know to, to to get money essentially, right? That's like their whole they're, they're pillagers. That's their whole thing. Um, but now with all of this happening, he's like, "You guys suck, and I'm going to take over." And he does with uh, with force. <laughs> he he basically. Uh, cuts off Kasev's hand, uh, and and really shows them like this is this is how we're going to do things, and you guys aren't going to argue with it. Um, and so there's a lot that happens within that. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to get into it, but uh, at the end of it, they're all on the same page at this point. Um, you know, they're all submitting to Martian Rowe. And Martian sends uh, Kasev to intercept a transport that con- is containing the flight recorder because there's there's some footage that they haven't seen or there's something missing or that was encoded or, or couldn't be decrypted within the flight recorder. So they haven't seen everything. At least that's what Martian Rowe tells the Tempest Runners. Um, and, and that's why he sends Kasev out to uh, intercept um, the flight recorder from the Republic. Then he also sends Lorna D to finish the kidnapping of the family on Elfrona. 
Um, and this is where his plan kind of comes to fruition. This is where everything starts to actually roll uh, for the Nihil. Yeah. And we should probably take a moment just to finish up because we touched on what was going on with that kidnapping, uh, but just kind of finish that up where we leave off before we get into this next part. Uh, so like we said, Indira comes in with those two vectors, uh, loading great storm and bell get on the other vector. Uh, they chase down the Nihil ship, the Nihil to, uh, playing on the fact that they know Jedi are people who save others. They throw uh, the young Blythe child out of the airlock, uh, knowing that they'll have to intercept. And th this plays on a kind of small arc for Bell, where uh, he's learning how to stop his fall with the Force whenever he jumps out of things from high distances. Uh, we, we didn't touch on it too much, and won't go too much further than this, but he ends up being the one saving her because he has to. He finally is able to master this after uh, Loden has tried to get him to. And uh, essentially, he saves him. He reconnects with Loden, just saying, I've got her. You finish this part. And uh, Loden actually does this super cool maneuver where he opens his airlock and jumps into the open airlock of the Nihil ship. But unfortunately, he clips his leg jumping in, breaks his leg, which is really important. Uh, he does uh, come across the father of the Blythe family while doing this. But uh, when they're in there, uh, they are encountered by uh, Lorna D and the rest of her crew who come in at this point. Yeah. And how and did do you remember how he gets captured? Like the, just cause it's his legs broken or is there well, something they do to him? His they, legs broken and they, they fill the chamber with gas. Yeah. Okay, they that's they do what they did in the uh, original introduction to them. Instead of poison, they use some kind of gas that knocks him like and uh, the blind father out. Yeah, um, and obviously it's very difficult for Loden to handle all of that at that moment because he had no warning, and on top of that, he's in immense pain, even though he did take a painkiller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that pretty much brings us to Act 3, but I do want to touch on the interlude um, between Act 2 and Act 3 uh, because it introduces Joramali. Um who well and is, I, I think this is a really important part to talk about the jedi too so the like, jedi it's have, not yeah a hundred percent because this is a really big exposition on the jedi during this time uh andy do you want to touch on that um well i think you're gonna you do it through your description but the thing that i wanted to mention with this is like the jedi are deciding to do something to like act and be involved with the galaxy in a way that we see later on in like the prequel trilogy where they don't want to get involved. Like they're very hesitant. Like we don't get involved in these affairs, but in the high Republic, they do, they act, they're heroes. Uh, and I think a really great example to like plug another book in the star Wars canon, um, Dooku Jedi lost is the closest we get to the high Republic era. It's like 80 or 90 years before the events of the Phantom Menace. And you can see there's another great disaster um, 
you have Sifo Dias who senses uh, because he has visions and visions are going to become important later on too um, in the act, act three of this, yeah. but visions um, of the destruction of the, I forget which the planet is, um, but it's their Bacta supply. And Bacta is very important in this story too. We're, we're learning about Bacta. Yep. And so what happens in the Duco Jedi Lost, which is only a hundred or so years off, 110, I guess, from when we're, we are right now. But in that moment, they decide not to act. They say, no, we can't get involved. When we get involved, that's when we cause more problems. Uh, but Sifo-Dyas, he stops a huge disaster from occurring had he not acted on it. So we get this great juxtaposition now of a Jedi Council who is quick to make decisions who essentially all agrees that they they need to act in some capacity as opposed to nearly a hundred years later they're going to be like no we don't get involved with these sorts of things we stay out we kind of let the the will of the force do what it must well actually one thing that i found interesting is the jedi were largely split on whether they were to act or not um actually the the deciding vote came down to joramali um of, of whether they would actually get involved um and uh i i love they agree to do it well, yeah, I mean, there's like a there's a there's a vote on whether they're going to get involved yeah. or not. But they, they agree to do it. Like, that's the point is like, yeah, this, this is yeah. the Jedi the thing. The day, like they they yeah. are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and Joramali has a great quote um, that says, it, it, it is what we're is what we're doing going to bring more light to the galaxy? If so, yes. we do it and and they do it. Um, and Joramali is. um I really wish she didn't die because I love her character. Um, Spoiler. Oh, sorry. <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little too far. Um, but uh, she is actually supposed to be the, um, uh, the uh, kind of this leader of the um, Starlight Beacon. Um, she, she was going to be the appoint, the Jedi appointee to lead that, um, that outpost. Um, and she ends up leading uh, the battle uh for to hunt the nihil um and that's what they were voting on is to is to are the jedi going to be uh involved in hunting down the nihil uh and you know they they have to balance what they call they 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 have to balance justice and peace and which one is this and this is this is justice they have to get involved to bring justice to the galaxy um and in side note her Padawan is uh, is Wreath Silas. Wreath uh, Silas is in my head uh, named after my my son. Uh, after I met, it, he uh, has to be. It has to be right. Uh, we need confirmation <laughs> from Claudia. Oh no, <sighs> guys, I'm sorry. From what is that name? Because Zach in 2019 told Claudia Gray. Hey, I've got a son named Silas, and that'd be a great name to include in Star Wars. I don't know what was going on in 2019. Maybe they were writing these books. Who knows? But she just so happened to create a character called Wreath Silas. So, so good. I, 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 I am. I'm always going to consider Wreath Silas my character. But who knows? Who knows? But, um, 
So super cool. So now we're we're gonna we're gonna move into Act Three because we're we're running a little behind here. So uh, luckily, this all wraps up pretty quickly. Actually, um, you know, the, we 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 start to see these threads um, tied up. So we start by Kossiv, uh starting on his mission from Martian Road to intercept the flight recorder from the Republic. Um, he. He brings his crew out to the the location where it's supposed to be, um, and he nearly decides to abandon the Nihil and just take off in, in with his loyal crew, with his loyal Tempest, and be their own pillagers. But him and Wetbub. Wh- what? Him and Wetbub. Wet bub, yeah, yeah. His Gungan right hand man. I think that's uh, the closest we're ever gonna get to Darth Jar Jar is just uh, Nihil Gungan. Yeah, yeah. There are, like I said, man. There's a lot of characters here that I, you know, I would love to dive deeper into, but there's just so many of them. But yeah, good call out. Wet bub was was fun. I liked him. Um. But so before he could kind of make the call for his fleet to peace, uh, the Republic drops out of hyperspace right in front of them. Uh, they were he was not expecting a Republic battle fleet uh, from his Casa's understanding. Um, there wasn't a Republic battle fleet. You know, uh, they, they were going to be pretty much safe um, from any conflict. But they drop in and uh, they got a battle, uh, and and also the Iriaduins, uh come in, right? So from the, the other side, from the other side, so they're like trapped. Yeah. This the Ocasio's fleet is basically trapped on both sides. They can't get out of there. He's calling Martian Row for paths to get out of there. Martian Row doesn't respond, and so they got to fight, and they start getting. They start getting beat pretty bad by the Republic. You know, they're kind of fighting in these these like little dog fight type tactics, um, and the Republic is slaughtering them until Kasiv realizes that they're the Nihil, and they're dirty SOBs, and so they start these crazy battle tactics um, that the Republic couldn't handle. Um, you know, what were what were like some examples of. Um, Oh, I've got a whole list if uh, yeah go for go it through. I know because yeah, I, I told you the other day I loved these and I usually don't make note of stuff like this but like these were specifically just awesome because he exactly. says fight like the Nihil fight dirty don't fight on their terms so the first one who like actually takes up on this guy dumps this flammable liquid that he had on this ship that he stole oh from somebody when they uh, destroyed and pillaged and uh, gets on a bunch of Republic ships and then they blast it, and it just starts this chain reaction of blowing up these Republic ships. Uh, another one literally lands his ship on top of the viewport of a Republic ship, and they're probably thinking, what the heck are you doing here? Uh, what, what's this <laughs> tactic? So they land it, shut off engines, then they reignite the engines and just destroy everybody in the viewport, which is awesome. Uh, the next one I noted, uh, they did the uh, harpoon maneuver from Abdallah, so that this is my came favorite. up again. Yeah. And then uh, the very last one, which is awesome, one of them unloads a bunch of escape pods. Yeah. So that the Republic thinking that they're going to save these people and keep them as 
pretty much that's prisoners. A, that's a cool one. Uh, they scoop them all up. Well, what do these escape pods have? But explosives. They don't have anybody in them, and they just tear these Republic ships apart. Like, these tactics are so awesome. Like, they're dirty as heck, but... Man, they're awesome. Uh, I just loved the description of like how they just went right into it. It's like, yeah, why are we fighting on their terms? Why don't we just do all the dirty stuff we usually do? Yeah, that, that that's my favorite one is the the escape pods. Like that's so clever because they know it's that genius. The Republic is too noble to not pick them up, and so they're gonna. Yeah, take well, it, you know, it goes back to uh, when they're chasing the Nihil who have the uh, the family that they kidnapped. Right playing on the Jedi's uh, intentions to save people. It's the same thing with the Republic. They, they, they know their enemy. The <laughs> yeah, it's and so like bad. that's what plays into this so whole brutal. battle is that they know the Republic and the Jedi much better than the Republic and the Jedi know the Nihil. The Nihil are such an unknown, and that's what like plays into this now and even later into this battle. Yeah. And all this stuff that we're getting to, like the tactics that they're using, I think Act 3 is my favorite of the acts. Like Act 1, I actually really like the suspense building that happens and kind of its almost slower moving pace. Act 2 is very chaotic because there's so much jumping back and forth. This Act 3 is just like, we're going to we're gonna wrap this story up now, everyone. You Oh, you think that this is going to go like the way that the, the Jedi and the Republic are going to like take them out or whatever? No, Nihil are going to mess things up for them uh and like the way it happens is just like you're as i mentioned before like this book is dark at times this is one of those yeah. very dark moments very yeah yeah and this is where the nihil really become a force to be reckoned with in the galaxy you know prior to this they're just kind of in the background pillaging you know now they're you know martian Rowe has put them in the spotlight um for the at least for for this particular moment in time and then we'll you know in a little bit we'll get into you know what the future might hold for the nihil so uh let's just continue on this this space battle and then maybe we'll jump to ilfrona after so you know as as the um as the Nihil are, are starting to kind of uh, wreck the Republic ships uh, using their own dirty tactics, Martian Rowe actually finally uh, contacts Kossiv and, 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 and his fleet. And he says, you know, and, and Kossiv is already kind of like weird. He, he, he thinks that Martian set, set him up. Um, and Martian essentially confirms <laughs> that he set him up. Um, he he uploads these paths and this is really interesting he uploads paths to the path engines on the nihil ships and basically teleports them around this confined area you know it, it it's 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 an interesting mix between like actual hyper jumps and like the micro jumps that we see in um, Rise of Skywalker, you know, from mm -hmm. from Poe. That's kind of what I thought about these. Like it's like mm -hmm. these are these are kind of like micro jumps, right? But it, it's almost like they're teleporting in very short distances, relatively, um, you know, in this confined battle area. And by doing so, they're essentially kamikazing. Uh, the Republic fleet. It's and, hold'em maneuvers. Yeah, right. A bunch a of little hold'em. 
a whole bunch of them. Um, and this is this is what we were referring to at the beginning, you know, when we were, we were talking about the emergences um, and, and how this can relate to the, the, the hold maneuvers and the, and the and, you know, the technical aspects of this whole thing. But, yeah, you know, uh, essentially, Martian's like, yeah, so I think you killed my father and I'm going to use you uh, to get the Republic off of our back and kill you. And that's just, he does that's say, just though, uh, you know, thank you for your sacrifice. Yeah, um, it, it's right. it's an interesting duality. He he says, you know, I, I'm screwing you guys over, but you're also saving the Nihil. So thank you for your sacrifice here, for being dumb enough to fall into my trap and allowing me to use you as kamikazes. And uh, this actually super confuses the republic so much i don't remember the commander but he's one of the guys who's always like that's impossible over and over and over again mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand why these guys are essentially suicide bombing a bunch and uh rightfully so because they don't know they're doing it either right yeah exactly it's it's this it's this uh puppet master martian Rowe who is really controlling this entire battle for the nihil really interesting sorry do we, were you gonna say something oh god <laughs> <laughs> i like the noises that you make oh man sorry i think we're back can you hear me okay? All right. Okay. Yep. All yep. right. Ted, were you were you saying something before we got interrupted? I don't even know, man. <laughs> I don't so, even know anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is awful. This it's is awful. okay. I, I don't blame you. I blame Spectrum. <laughs> Spectrum and the fact that I'm using a Wi-Fi chip. I shouldn't admit that, but um, but that's what I'm using. So where were we so we were uh, so that's that's the, essentially the space battle um it, it, the way it ends is the Irihanuans contact uh the republic commander and i don't know his name but they're like hey matter. can we deal with this can we can because this guy destroyed our planet uh do you mind if we take over and they do and they board his ship and they they murder him yeah the, the governor specifically boards that ship and uh shoots him just yeah. shoots him. he, yeah. he recognizes yeah. her voice and then uh she doesn't really give him much of a chance and shoots him yeah yep so which is one of those things of that like that's consequential too because had they taken him hostage he was willing to spill everything. He, like he says, oh, like, yeah. I'm going to tell you everything you want. Like, you don't worry. I'm going to get back at this guy. Maybe I can get out of it and essentially live, uh, fight another day from this. And then now governor says no. Yeah, that's the thing. Kasev, uh throughout at least half of this book has one foot out the door from the Nihil at pretty much every turn. And uh, he just gets completely screwed over by Martian Rowe to the point where he doesn't even have a chance to be the rat, essentially, to tell them everything they want to know about the Nihil, where their uh, headquarters are, how they do what they do. So, yeah, that's contingent on uh, the plan for Martian Rowe that Kasiv uh, just totally screwed up so badly that the Ariadu government wants to destroy him. Yeah. 
and him specifically because they they really yep. don't know the magnitude of the of the Nihil at this point. They think Kasif is the Nihil, and that's it. That's know, right. Him and his yep. fleet, you know, um, which is really important. Um, but one other important detail that I wanted to mention about this space battle is that uh, Juramali dies, right? So I already said that she dies, but this is where she dies. Um, and uh, and that has some significance for the uh, Starlight Beacon, um, because, again, she was going to be the the lead Jedi on that outpost. And now she is unable to do so. Yep. So, so that's the cost of battle. So now let's move over to Elfrona. Um, and we already pretty much we talked, talked about, about this it, whole thing. Yeah, you know, I, I think I didn't realize I was skipping a little bit ahead how far I was. Uh, that's right. I didn't realize that this started in uh, part three. And that's the thing like this, this thread is there's not a lot of detail that's really worth going over, but there are some consequential parts of it. Um, and so, like you said, Ted, um, earlier, uh, Loden Greystorm, Great Storm essentially gets captured on this ship um, after trying to rescue the the family father um, that the Nihil kidnapped and um, uh, Lorna D comes to assist her i think it's her storm who was running the um running the mission first at first and mm. then they needed help so lorna d comes in and and helps them out and overwhelms the jedi so that they 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 couldn't really execute their initial plan of rescuing the family so lord loden Graystorm jumps into the the ship breaks his leg um and he and the father are captured by Lorna D and uh Martian Rowe and um this is where Martian kind of tells Lorna D what's going on um and he before we go into that uh should we finish up that battle because there's a little more that goes into that battle specifically I think this is more at the end yeah if I'm remembering correctly um uh, unless yeah, I, i'm i'm unless I'm, I'm, uh, I'm blanking on what else happens in that battle after well so, so the way they end up just dis destroying the nigh hill that they're fighting uh like not only do the ariadu uh fleet get involved but uh the republic and the jedi are able to defeat them uh using avar chris and her kind of uh jedi wi-fi tethering and uh, she's hearing the song of the Nye Hill. Uh, she notes that they're like super hard to pin and says like they're very staccato, mm -hmm. just very quick, sharp movements. Uh, but then she finally pins them down and she's able to tell the Jedi essentially where they're going to disappear from and where they're going to right. reappear. And she's just essentially guiding them like Elzar Man even uh, notes that like he doesn't know how she knows this but he's just like every time he shoots where she says to he ends up shooting down Hitting. a nihil yeah. ship right um and let's see you mentioned everything about rose speaking to kasiv that's kind of mixed in there as well um i think that's really important foreshadowing though ted to just jump off of that point really quick like yeah what avar chris can do Okay, so we're seeing that she has the same kind of almost ability to predict where these anomalies are going to occur because that's what's happening. The, the drive, um, the path drive is engaging and all of a sudden they appear in another place. So uh, this is speculation, but I'm going to assume that 
these paths, hyperspace, is all connected to the Force. The fact that Avar is able to use it this way. And so we already know going into this book series or, or this multimedia series that not only the Jedi are going to be like at risk here, but the Force itself. Like that is a tagline, I think, that gets used in the beginning of this book that it's not just the stakes of the galaxy in terms of the High Republic and the people. It's the Force itself, which is at stake here. Yeah, that's really interesting. It makes me wonder, too, uh, just going back to Mari Santeca, if something really did happen to her, or maybe she came of age and started developing her Force abilities, and they were right. super in tune uh, with the hyperspace lines. Just something to think about for the future, I guess. Yeah. Speculation. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the hyperspace lanes are really interesting especially the ones that they're that mari santeca are providing because it doesn't even seem like they're uh charting these lanes like it doesn't seem like they even could be charted they're just some paths that mari has access to that other people don't you know it, it, at least that's kind of how i read it um you know I, it doesn't seem like they're actually prospecting these lanes anymore with mari um they're just these these well, these i don't know if they're one time use paths but they're they're these I very think to an extent paths. they are I think to an extent they are because Marcian Rowe later, and just jumping ahead a little bit, but he mentions having an archive of paths. And obviously that's like that kind of coded messaging to the Nihil, uh, like where do they come from and everything. But he does say literally like he has all these paths that they've used in the past yep. before and ones that they can eventually use in the future as long as Mari Santeca is living that, you know they can take full advantage of mm -hmm. just because they've used it before it doesn't mean they can't use it again because the republic at large and the galaxy at large have not mapped these at all right right okay cool um so um where are we right now um so we were just talking yeah, so now so we're so with we Lorna D and of, yeah so we finished at the cost of battle now, um, Martian Rowe and Lorna D are on, uh, I think it's his flagship at this point. I think they moved, uh, they moved Loden Storm and, and, uh, the Blythe father over to, um, I can't remember the name, the, the gaze, something gaze, right? Gaze electric. The gaze yeah. electric. Um, got some cool names for these ships. Yeah, it is a cool name. Um, and so they're, they're on his flagship and this is where Martian Rowe, um, kind of reveals his entire plan to Lorna D. And he has the he, James Bond villain moment, just right. like tells the grand plan, right? And and he's like he's like playing with Loden Graystorm's lightsaber the whole time, which makes it even more menacing. Um, but he say he basically tells Lorna D that he wanted he wanted the Republic to have the flight recorder the whole time to identify the Nihil ones responsible for the legacy run. You've got to be kidding me. Hold on. Screenshot that real quick. I got yeah. it. <laughs> you got it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I looked like, but it couldn't have been good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what you should use as the thumbnail for this video that's for sure <laughs> oh lord okay i'm gonna i'm gonna start over so 
<laughs> so uh, I don't even know where I was. Um, Marcian Rowe essentially tells Lorna D that he wanted the Republic to have the flight recorder so that it would implicate the Nihil as the ones who were responsible for the Legacy Run's uh, accident. Um, and he uses Kossiv to be the scapegoat to make the, Ni- the the Republic think that they destroyed all of the Nihil, that Kossiv was the Nihil, and now they are no longer a threat. Um and uh, and 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 he succeeds. I mean, the 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 Republic thinks that that the Nihil are no longer a threat, um, and uh, consequently, or uh, on the on the other side of that, he also told Lorna D that he wanted her to kidnap the family on Elfrona because he knew there was a Jedi post there, and he wanted a Jedi captive, um, and. Again, he's his plan succeeded somehow. He so he he now has Loden Greystorm, Greatstorm in his in his, on his ship imprisoned uh, for his own use. Um, Symbolism here: the the storm, uh, Marshan Rowe, He finds that entertaining as well. The fact yeah. that the Jedi he captured. The last name is Great Storm. Like th- this is this will be a, a reoccurring thing, I think, with the Nihil um, and s- the storm motif as a symbolism for chaos, destruction, um, you know, the thing on the horizon yet to come. So the fact that like this is it's kind of a, on its nose, uh, almost breaking the fourth wall in a little a little bit by like Marcia and Noah, like huh, how ironic is this that I've I captured a Jedi whose last name is Great Storm. Right. Oh, it's on the level of two, like uh, the the people in the Chiss that are called Skywalkers, and then the most mm-hmm. famous Jedi of all time is Luke Skywalker, and then his father Anakin Skywalker. It's those little things that, like, obviously they make these things up and they put them in there, but it's this duality that you have between, uh, I guess, just what's going on with one group and somebody who has a name and the connections that they can have. Names are very important in star Wars as we have come to expect. Um, But yeah, you're right. So um, before we get to like the, the, well, all right. So let me let me start here. So Martian basically makes this announcement to the Nihil saying that they are no longer limited to the outer rim. Um, they they are going to expand across the galaxy and take what they want when they want. Um, and they are no longer going to be um, uh, constrained by fear of the Republic uh, kind of finding them out. Um and uh, and and this wins over the Nihil uh, from you know the remaining Tempests, um, and so th- at this point the Nihil structure has completely changed. It is no longer the three Tempest runners and the Eye. It is the Eye as the leader of the Nihil. Um, he has really changed the dynamic of the Nihil, and seemingly without much pushback, you know, outside of Kasif, who is now dead, you know? And so everybody's yeah. kind of on board with the new Nihil. Well, well he to, not, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. To, uh, to expand on that even more, he uses some of the footage of Kasif versus the Republic yes. as propaganda. 
and you know uses that like well he sacrificed himself for us he saved the Nihil and this is all while he's wearing this like extravagant fur coat that's got like some wear and tear on it and also his new mask which resembles more of a crown more than anything really like symbolizing that he's the leader uh and the other thing uh just to touch on really quickly with Lorna D he tells her to like because she asks, why did you do all this? Why did you send me there? Why did you allow me to fail? He says, basically, so he can have her wrapped around his finger. So she needs him more than he needs her. And he has like a loyal lapdog, essentially, because he wanted to kind of plant the seed in the minds of her own Tempest that maybe we should look for new leadership. So as long as he protects her, she can remain the Tempest runner for her Tempest. Uh, so he's just got all these machinations going on and everything fitting into place perfectly. I want to add two things to this conversation too, Ted, to piggyback off what you just said. So the first thing is like the political nature of what the Nihil are. So now they're given a political cause that is uh, the antithesis of the high republic so the republic's thing is we are all the republic we're going to have these rules we're going to do these things to make us all be together the nihil is like this radical independence we are a collective and we're going to oppose this force that's trying to restrict your freedoms that's trying to um go against your individual independence of this greater thing that we are a part of the storm uh the fact like that any groups in real life uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he's the eye and i think this analogy again the symbols of the storm makes a lot of sense because he's actually at the center of this thing the eye of the storm a storm is just a collection of smaller pieces and parts that's very chaotic so it gives you this ver like now we have an actual enemy to the republic the nihil are the antithesis of what um, Lena So wants with this new era that we're being introduced to. Uh, the other point, too, is with Martian Rowe, we didn't really talk about this, but he's got some other, like, things going on with him. Like, there have been two moments of foreshadowing, one much earlier on where he's telling about, like, his background. He's like, eh, I'll save that for later. It's not important right now. Don't remember what the context of that was, but it's like, hey, that's important information. And then he has that blade too, um, and the blade has significant importance for something, like some kind of rod or staff. Yeah, I think right. Yeah, something like some kind of weapon. Um, but the the point that kind of ties back to this, uh, like overarching thing too, is now the the opposition to the Jedi. Well, the way he's able to control Loden is with fear and pain which is kind of like foreshadowing of like, how does Palpatine kind of cover up all of the things that he's doing with the dark side of the force with fear and pain. So a little bit of speculation here. I think Martian Rowe, he might not be a Sith, but I feel like there's some Sith play behind the scenes here in some way that, that that's going to be introduced at some point in time. Maybe Sith. either things. that. Or just uh, kind of laying the groundwork for what the Sith eventually do. Maybe sure. they cross paths at some point. Maybe he doesn't necessarily become a Sith or have any force sensitivity, but maybe they cross paths. Maybe um, Darth Plagueis, if we ever get to him at any point, because he is in canon still Palpatine's master. Um, 
I, I wonder if uh, they somehow cross paths at one point and uh, at least see eye to eye against the Jedi and against the Republic. Uh, that would be a really interesting threat. I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely. And just one last thought about, you know, the, the Nihil and their their new philosophy, you know, Martian Rowe essentially steals uh, Lena So's mm-hmm. tagline. He tells the Nihil at the end of his speech, we are all the Nihil, which is an interesting juxtaposition to their overall philosophy of, you know, kind of the every man for himself, take what you want when you want. Now he's uniting the Nihil as all for one, one for all. Uh, I just found that a re- really kind of interesting, uh, especially compared to, um, you know, Lena So's philosophy of, of the Republic. Um, there well, are I think it's two sides of the it's same It's a point. comparison to like the Republic is an organized system. It's very much structured. The system of the Nihil is they are all the Nihil, but they're a storm. And a storm is a chaotic collection of things. A storm isn't right. anything that's structured. It is like when we use the word chaos, it is defined as basically what happens in between particles. Fart- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say particle physics of a storm it is that's where we get our definition of chaos from so it's like it's so fitting that they are completely opposite yet their phrases make goals and the sense of justice and what it means to fall through these things completely absent in the chaos of the storm Agreed. All right. Farticles. Farticles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So the um, I, I think that's pretty much it. You know, we, we Andy, you, you touched on, um, you know, the uh, Loden Graystorm is now imprisoned with, um, you know, eight other folks who really are just there to uh, essentially it, it diminish his force ability um, by imposing fear and pain in his presence. Um, Marcian Rowe knows that it's going to be difficult for him to uh, implement his force abilities. Um, and so and, and that's pretty much it. So let's we, we got to We got to wrap up here, guys. So let's go to the epilogue. Um, so real quick, um, this is the kind of the end of the story. Uh, the Republic thinks they're in the clear. Um, Elzar Mann uh, is is to be elevated to Jedi Master. Uh, we find out that Avar Chris is uh, taking over for Jorah Mali on Starlight Beacon. Starlight Beacon was able to open on time and um, and, and operate as normal. Um, and so we, we, we now have, you know, essentially the success of the Republic. They were able to defeat the the uh or overcome the great disaster i should say um and overcome the event that happened and still um put out the the outpost that is so important to the outer rim at this point um and avar chris is is going to be the kind of the jedi lead on starlight beacon so all is good except elzar man has this force premonition um, of what is coming, of essentially Jedi being slaughtered. He sees them flee from something, and most importantly, he sees fear in the Jedi, uh, which is the the you know kind of the the biggest uh, enemy 
to the Jedi is fear itself. So it's Yoda's quote. Yep. So, you know, we are going to see what that means uh, going forward. Um, you know, any predictions on, on what we're going to see in the next you know, few stories, well, maybe? Uh, specifically talking about that vision just really quickly, there's a little bit of imagery in it that leads you to believe that maybe Martian Rowe is involved in whatever it might be, which would be the obvious uh, direction anyway. But uh, specifically, Andy mentioned that staff, and it has a purple light at the end of it. And uh, in Elzar Man's vision, he sees uh, the bodies of his fellow Jedi and some Jedi he doesn't even know mutilated by an enemy uh, that they can't beat and while bathed in a purple light. So that's some foreshadowing toward potentially Martian Row, probably. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to note two more things really quick before we speculate uh bell is now the uh padawan of indira she took him on he was supposed to be elevated to jedi knight uh by the recommendation of Loden Greatstorm, but he thinks Loden is still alive doesn't want to be elevated and do the ceremony without him and then obviously we alluded to elzar man and avar chris have a moment together at the end here where they kind of they hold hands, they talk about dancing together, but then they end up going their separate ways to their separate things. Him being a master and now being free to experiment in the Force the way he wants to, and then her being the lead Jedi at uh, the Starlight Beacon. So I'm sure we'll see them cross paths again, and maybe their feelings will be reignited. So just didn't want to leave without saying that stuff. Yeah, it's piggybacking off that too, Ted. Um, they talk about the relationship that they had when they were Padawans and that those things were okay when they were Padawans, which is different than the philosophy we see in the prequel trilogy where Anakin, essentially, uh, he is technically a a Padawan still at this point, right? He's not a Jedi Knight in Attack of the Clones, is he? He, he or is he a Jedi, Jedi Knight at that point? He is I Jedi think he Knight. might be a knight. Yeah. Okay. Um, it kind of contradicts what I was going to say then, because uh, he still has his Padawan braid, I thought. But anyways, it uh, I guess it doesn't really matter because the point being is like you know he has this secret relationship with um, Padme and it's frowned upon. Like he like they know like he shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. But I'm led to believe based on the epilogue here that when they say like those things were okay and acceptable with the padawans uh, at the time like yeah this is just a completely different jedi that we are seeing now than what we were first introduced to with the original star wars well to be fair i mean they do actually question it you know they elzar man says you know the time that we spent together was that a mistake and it's just the opinion of avar chris that it wasn't you know, um, so I, I don't know that it's so far removed from, you know, the the philosophy of, you know, no, create no attachments. Um, but I think it's a little more lenient. You know, they're a little more flexible with it, um, you know, compared to the, the Jedi that we know in the uh, in the Republic era. I think yeah. it is a great except like it is is much bigger than like just that. I think that is really important and it will continue like we're going to see why this happened. Like, why are the Jedi different? Um, and it's from what's going to happen during the High Republic. And so it is something uh, that I think is going to be significant. 
Yeah. That leads me to believe that maybe, it, alluding to what you were saying, Andy, uh, but maybe a little more detail, just maybe as Padawans, it's not that frowned upon. And th they do mention, you know, we're, we're Jedi, we shouldn't have this attachment anymore. So maybe there's an expectation that once you're out of the Padawan prepubescent to pubescent years, you're expected to then disengage those attachments and grow up, become an adult, become a Jedi, become a knight master, whatever. Uh, maybe they were like lenient as far as like letting people work through that stuff rather than in the prequel era, just strictly no, 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 you can't even look at Padme. Don't yeah. look at her. I, th I think you're right. Yeah. But, uh, speculation you wanted to speculate right yeah well yeah i mean let's let's, so let's where kinda, do we go from here yeah let's wrap up on uh you know some final thoughts on on this book and where do we think we're going uh next anybody want to jump in well i've already cheated a little bit because i started reading um oh, into no. the dark okay. uh, but forced. not not much has happened it kind of like uh it starts off within the timeline of um light of the jedi so you're not really learning any new information of what's happening um but i i definitely foresee things getting worse <laughs> this this is not a, a book series where i expect things to get better by the end um we know things are going to have to turn out somewhat okay because the republic still exists the jedi still exist uh we just know that things are going to look a little different uh, by the end of this thing. So I foresee that, uh, and we have a whole other threat that hasn't even been introduced in this whole book, um, which is separate, because there are two main threats that the High Republic is going to deal with. There's like a alien plant species thing that's going to come up, and then there's like the Nihil. So we haven't even touched upon the alien plant species thing because it doesn't really come up in this book. So that's like a whole other thing. Um, but I, I really see it as like we are going to just keep having all these problems pop up over the galaxy. The Jedi are going to try to solve the problems and they're going to fail. And the failures are going to lead to more events. Like it's going to cause kind of like what the, what I forget the Jedi's name, um, but she says like, if this action is going to cause more light, bring more light, then we should do it. But what's going to happen is they're going to think they're bringing more light, but they're going to bring darkness into the galaxy. Maybe, maybe make the wrong choice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think pretty much what you said, Andy, it's just going to lead further down the road uh, of the choices that lead to uh, the prequel era and how we get to that. And it's going to be really interesting to see exactly what events lead to that. I don't know if I can speculate for sure. I definitely think uh, Martian Rowe is going to be the overarching villain with the Nihil, uh, even if there are books where he's not the specific villain i think very much like sidious he will be the overarching villain uh kind of pulling the strings along the way uh and end up being the big bad in the end of it uh you know as he started off as the big bad here too he started but like jedi to where they end up and maybe this will also lead to some more context to what Luke is thinking when he's on Octo and 
talking about how the prequel era Jedi were so wrong in a lot of the things they do and maybe some of the practices that we haven't seen, but maybe in comics and other material that he adopted or translated in a different way uh, for his new order at the time. Cause we, we don't get a ton of time with that, that really what we get is the movie flashbacks, the storytelling from Luke about it and the storytelling from Kylo Ren and then the Kylo Ren comics, the rise of Kylo Ren. We don't get a lot of what leads up to that, how the order is built. So I'd be excited to see if he adopts some of the uh, practices of these Jedi or maybe even further before them that are more loosey goosey with things than the super prude strict Jedi that we see in the prequel era. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what leads to that. You know, how how the Jedi interpret the history that we're about to see, um, you know, are, are the Jedi that we know, how they interpret this this point in history to become what we see the Jedi in the Republic era. Uh, it's, it's obvious that there is something that will happen that will change the trajectory of the Jedi and the Republic. Um, and, 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 and we'll see what actually, you know, I, I, I don't have a ton of speculation. I, I, I really like the direction that this is going. I'm, I'm super excited. Um, to, to see kind of the, the, the darkness emerge from the light um, instead of, you know, the well, I guess I mean, that's That's kind of how our, our Star Wars is is uh, is laid out to begin with. But, you know, the Martian Rowe character is so interesting. I really hope we see a lot of him, though. I don't expect him to be prominent in every story we read. Um, like you said, Ted, I, you know, he's he's definitely that puppet master type villain um and i just i i love his arc in this and i really hope we we see more of it um so yeah i mean it, guys if you if you haven't read this book definitely pick it up it is it's one of the best star wars books i've read in a long time um it's it's a great story with untapped material that uh that we now have um so our next episode in the High Republic series uh, is going to be Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, which I am super excited for. Claudia Gray is my favorite Star Wars author. Um, I love it. And, and uh, she really is like a young adult author um, in general. Like this is this is um, touted as a young adult book. But I hope that doesn't deter you from reading it because her young adult is not what you would think of as a young adult novel. Um, she does a great job um, at telling her stories in a, a, a largely a, a coming of age way. Uh, you know, and we, we uh, this this is featuring Reith Silas, who is the Padawan of Jorah Mali. So I can definitely see how this is going to be a coming of age story for Reith Silas. Um, but I'm excited to see uh, what other implications the story has. Yeah, don't let YA fool you as thinking it's their kids books. No, and Claudia does an, a phenomenal job. I think it it's some interview that exists on the Internet that you can find of her describing her writing style for young adult novels. It is not intended to just be a, like a kid's book. It is, you're going to see a, a story of a character going through a life-changing moment. And those life-changing moments 
are usually when we're like preteens, teenagers, young adults. When something really bad or really good happens to you to like send you off on your pathway in life to like kind of discover who you are. So what she does phenomenally is she tells that coming of age story within the greater context of the Star Wars galaxy. And she ties things together and puts pieces in that you don't expect there to to make sense with this story. Yet she does it. Her books are always phenomenal. And I can't wait to finish this one. Yep. Yep. I agree. And it's out now. Um, I think it was released um, at the beginning of the month. Um, so yep. you can pick it up on uh, you know either either on audiobook, um, which I highly recommend. Um, obviously, if, you, if you're if you're a reader, continue reading. It's better for your brain. Um, but uh, the audiobooks are phenomenally produced. So uh, it's, it's really engaging. So pick it up and, uh, and join us for our next episode. Um, anything else before we get out of here, guys? Let's no. do it. All right. Well, thank you, Andy and Ted, for joining me today. And thank you all for watching and or listening, however you consume this episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you join us next time. Uh, please follow the podcast on Twitter for updates. Uh, follow us at Jedi uh, at Sacred Jedi Text, uh, singular, no S at the end. You can follow Andy at Darth Buckman on Twitch. Um, you can also check out our franchise, uh, the Franchise Flicks podcast, which is hosted by Ted, where he is joined by Andy and I to break down movie franchises in their entirety. Uh, we have a blast doing it. Uh, you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Franchise Flicks. And uh, that's it, guys. We are all the Republic, and may the Force be with you. We are all the Nihil. Screw the Republic. <laughs> Thanks, Farticle. everybody.